Hello and welcome to House of Fire and Blood, the podcast where we ask, what if George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood were told more like HBO's show, House of the Dragon? So we want everyone to be aware, trigger warning for this episode, uh, we are going to be talking about traumatic pregnancy and traumatic birth and childbirth. Um, so take care of yourself. Uh, when we get to that point in the discussion, we will, you know, we have some trigger warnings kind of laced throughout the episode, but we wanted to just put this up front so that uh, you can be aware that that's going to be something that's going to be talked about uh, in this episode. It, it's pretty graphic um, and really uncomfortable, and I totally understand that if you need to, you know, tap out, definitely feel free. Hi everyone, my name is Carla and I use she, her pronouns and I'm here with Gretchen. Hi everyone, this is Gretchen and I use they, them pronouns. And we are continuing our analysis of uh, Fire, uh, Fire and Blood. Yes. Uh, with the chapter Birth, Death, and Betrayal under Jaehaerys the First. This is part two um, and we're reading up to, oh shoot, what page are we reading up to? Uh, 219, we, middle of page 219. Yes, we said that at the end of the last podcast too, so you guys should also know if you're following along. Um, and we're continuing on with our good boy Harris and his good reign mm-hmm. and all the laws he makes. Yeah. And the things he does himself. Yes. Only, only Harris does things. Yep. So let's get right into our high level summary. Uh, first things first, our girl Alyssa Farman on Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. She says, I can't stay here anymore. It's too boring. Yep, I need to go sail the seas and be on the ocean and have dragon or have a have a boat related adventures. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, girlfriend, will you pay for my boat? And Reyna says, "No." Yep, I'm not paying for your boat. Like you're staying here. And Alyssa says, "That's fucking funny." <laughs> and takes uh, takes three dragon eggs and flees uh-huh. to, to Essos. And the dragon eggs were never seen again. Never seen again. Never again. What are dragon eggs? See, uh, this is, we're okay, we're going to have to get into that because I have questions. I know last time we were like, maybe those aren't Danny's eggs, but like Alyssa's got to steal something. So, but there's a lot of eggs on Dragonstone at this true. point. There are a lot of eggs, but yeah, the location of where these eggs end up is just suspicious. Um, yeah, but why? Why is everyone? Everyone kind of gets in a tizzy about this. Jaharis gets like real mad. I know, and it's right. like, but it's okay. Only Targs can ride dragons. Yeah, so that's the problem. What are you talking about? There's nothing to worry about. Yeah. So, so some dragons got stolen. Some eggs got stolen. Who cares? They can't do anything with them. They can't ride them. They're not Targaryen. Yeah, they're just really, yeah. fan- they're just really fancy stones. Right. Exactly. Um. Yeah. 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 Um. That's totally cool. There's nothing to be afraid of. These are not the droids are looking for. Um, yeah, these are not the dragon eggs. These are not for. the dragon eggs you're looking for. Move along. <laughs> um, also, the high septon dies. Um, oh, womp 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 womp. The, he the, was old. The high lick spittle. Yep. Pour one out for the high lick spittle. <laughs> um, and and Jaharis gets involved with choosing the Pope, but like he does subtly, subtly, subtly. Yeah. He's su- he and Allison subtly fly their dragons to Old Town. Yep. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and descend upon the city. Yeah. And I love, this is probably one of my favorite pictures in the text, is the picture of Allison arriving yes. at Old Town. Landing so, on the high tower. Yeah. So in Old Town, 
Jaharis like lands in like the the courtyard the or, something. or whatever, yeah, like, the, the courtyard, like like a like a fucking noob. And <laughs> Alisand's like, I'm gonna land on on top of the tower, like the really tall, significant tower that's the symbol of somebody's house. Uh huh. And show that I like literally, I literally physically dominate over it mm-hmm. with my dragon, and it is the coolest picture. And I love her, and I love, I love this. And I wish this was in color. I bet someone online has maybe oh, some color. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah, but Alisan says, um, "Wait till I show you symbolism," and she she does that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I get, I guess again, we're threatening to burn down Old Town. Yeah, that's all we do. Yep. Over and over. Yep. Yeah. Old Town, uh, burn, burn Old Town Psych out. Like, mm-hmm. take four. The dragons yep. are coming, and everyone in Old Town's like, oh no, are they gonna burn us? Yeah. And they said, I don't know, are we gonna burn you? I don't know. Depends <laughs> yeah, on, know. depends on some choices. Sounds, that sounds like your decision. <laughs> hmm So Jaharis gets to politicking behind the scenes. Yep. Uh, yeah, he hangs out with the high towers, And then, you know, magically, you know, for... Uh, totally unconnected reasons what do you know septon alfin who was one of the seven speakers from a few episodes ago one of those Mm -hmm. you know staunchly devoted preachers of targaryen exceptionalism what do you know he's elected the next high septon how convenient and he's like on death's door this man is very old and very sick yeah yeah and And they're like it's fine (laughs) yeah don't worry about it um because after him like there's like one of the high towers that is a septon is gonna be um you know gonna be the next high septon yep. after alfin and this is you know what good news what totally unrelated good news for the targaryens things just work out for them i know well because they're exceptional gretchen yeah i don't know if you've heard yeah they're closer right. to gods than men and that's why the high septon you know just happens to support them it's great right exactly it's great it's fantastic uh, while Alisand is in Old Town, so Jaharis is doing like politics or whatever in the in the background. Alisand's in like the fucking library. Yeah, she's like, "Yo, I'm a read mm-hmm. everything." Yeah, and she she reads. She goes to lectures. She's like doing all kinds of stuff. And she has a dinner with the Macers at one point where she's like, "What if you let girls go to college, and like they would be really good at it too?" Yeah. And the maesters, like, didn't have the heart to tell her no. Yeah. So they were like, oh, we'll consider it, sweetie. They're like, Mom, I don't know. We'll, we'll definitely think about it. Sure, we'll think about that. Like, women reading? What? <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, that's something that Allison wants that even in A Song of Ice and Fire proper has not been changed. Yep. Nope. If you want to be a maester, you have to either be a man or uh, be a sphinx. Then you could be a maester. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, Alaras. Love them. Love them. Love. We love to see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, then uh, we get the, the truly harrowing, <laughs> truly harrowing next sequence of events. Uh, yep. Because um, Alyssa goes into labor early and the baby is breech. So just imagine like episode one of House of the Dragon. Yep. It's more or less that. Yep. It's more or less that. Yep. Um, right down to Rogar pulling a Viserys and going, yep. um, that baby is definitely a boy. Um, mm-hmm. And I want you to save my son. Yep. So kill my wife, save my son. Yep. So who would have thought the 46-year-old going into labor in uh, a time when we don't have modern medicine mm-hmm. would be wildly dangerous for her? Mm-hmm weird i wonder what exactly happened because the text describes that it's like it's not that the baby it's not that she was in labor exactly Mm -hmm. it was that 
something had torn inside was the, yep. the way they describe it. Yep. So I'm curious what the, the actual medical condition was. I don't know if we have any listeners who are doctors who would know. I mean, I it, ask yeah, I mean, friends. it could be, um, oh, what is it called? It's, mm, is it placental abruption? Um, oh yeah that's a thing like there is an actual condition where the placenta tears like pulls away from the uterine wall Mm -hmm. um and that could have been what happened yeah Um, yeah that would make sense um but yeah and so something happened internally that they they wouldn't have been able to know but could very well be something like that um and so but the baby was breech so Mm -hmm. couldn't push normally also she's very old um mm-hmm. and it says this the text had established that she like hadn't fully recovered from her previous pregnancy so she probably right. was you know just like not as physically able to carry the yeah. pregnancy mm-hmm. um so yeah um rogard decides to to do the emergency c-section mm-hmm. um so Alyssa dies unfortunately yeah um and during this whole procedure, Allison stays in the room and holds her mother's hand, which is, like, extremely kind of her, yep. given the circumstance. But wow, how traumatizing. Yep. Deeply traumatizing. Like, to, to, like, be holding, to be holding the hand of someone who you know is imminently dying, mm-hmm. and that person's your mom. Yep. Um, so, yeah, this is probably a good time. We probably should have said this earlier, but, like, trigger warning for this episode. Mm-hmm. There's some, if you have any... Um, you know, if there, if you have any triggers that are about like um, complicated pregnancies or pregnancy mm. trauma or you know this kind of like cutting open of women, like I just know that like watching watching that first episode of House of the Dragon, like that scene was kind of hard for me. Um, mm. And I have known other people for whom it has been difficult. So we are going to be talking about that same kind of thing because it's a very very similar event. So. Um, we're putting that trigger warning here. Take care of yourself. If you need mm-hmm. to like tap out of this episode, um, definitely for sure do. I will also, when we get to that point in our analysis, I'll try and ha- I'll try and note like trigger warning again to be like, hey, we're moving into the mm-hmm. discussion about Alyssa. Um, so now would be, so if you want to hear the rest of our discussion, um, great. And then uh, we will remember to plant another like trigger warning right when we get to the point where we're talking about mm-hmm. Alyssa so that if you need to take a break and not listen, um, definitely do that so you can feel safe. So Alyssa dies, and and so when Alyssa dies, uh, Jaharis and Allison are there. Mm-hmm. Whether Alyssa ever regains consciousness while they're there is unclear. Mm-hmm. It seems like she probably does not yeah. from the text, but after she's definitely dead, Reyna shows up. Oh, oh, our girl. Reyna she wanted, shows up. She wanted to make amends with her mom. Yeah. Oh, yikes. yikes! So she's too Bad late. Timing. Um, but, but but she does leads- get to. <laughs> do you want to say this next part oh she gets to yell at rogar oh it's so the good best, the best footnote in the whole story <sighs> so she yells at rogar and this is at the top of 219 she, she basically yells at him because she's like this is your fault because you couldn't stop having sex with her uh-huh when you knew the risk right of this. right and like she's not wrong right he like duh and she says to him, hear this, my lord, do not think to wed again. Take care of the whelps my mother gave you, my half-brother and half-sister. See that they want for nothing. Do that, and I will let you be. If I should hear even a whisper of you taking some other poor maid to wife, I will make another Hall of Storm's End with you and her inside it. Yep. 
And next paragraph is like, Rogar, like, does she think to frighten me? Me? I'm, I'm not, not scared of Raina. I did not fear the wrath of Magor. Why should I fear hers? Everybody laughs and has wine. And then there's a little asterisk for a footnote. And the footnote just says, Rogar Baratheon, never wet again. <laughs> oh, chef's kiss. So good. Oh. <laughs> I adore that. And we could talk about that more. Yes. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Thank you, Martin. That was so good. Yes. That was great. And the, the babe does live. Uh-huh. And it's a girl. And she ends up being named Jocelyn, Jocelyn Baratheon, mm-hmm. who will turn out to be quite a player in this here Game of Thrones. Yeah, she's important. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. All right. So what was the maester thinking? Um, we're going to head into our analysis. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of like we talked about last time and what we've been kind of coming back with. We've got this like, um, I just happened to notice this one thing where he was like, Jaharis might have been peaceful, but he sure wasn't weak. I was like, mm-hmm. cool, yeah, that's only because you know how his reign turned out. Right, exactly. <laughs> that, that, this hindsight thing is killing me. It's like every single every single thing is like, yeah, Aenys, Aenys did almost the exact same shit. It was just like, I mean, the the difference is that now they came up with Targaryen exceptionalism. Uh-huh. And everybody was tired. Everyone was weary from war. Uh-huh. And... That was basically, everyone's like, okay, fine. More or less. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yeah, they're cool with it. Um, also, we will talk more about this when we get into what really happened, but just the, like, <laughs> women can't be smart. Oh, Jesus. Uh, with Alison at the Citadel. Like, he has this one line where he's like, she presumed to lecture the, the, yes. the maesters. And I was like... I'm like, she's the queen! Right. Also, like... She literally was super nice about it. Like, you read what yeah. she says, and she's basically just like, man, I would have made a really good maester. I bet other girls would make really good maesters. Girls can be smart, too. Why don't you let them in? Mm-hmm. Like, she's not... This is not a lecture at all. Right. Like, when you hear lecture, like, you're imagining someone, like, pontificating or, like, mm-hmm. being super nasty about it. And then, like, she literally is just like, hey, you know, girls like books, too. Maybe let right. some girls into your college. And he's like, oh, what a lecture. She sure did lecture those maesters about. She's nagging them, Gretchen. Yes. She's such a nag. Uh-huh. With her wanting higher education to be available for women in Westeros. What a nag she is. What a nag. Just presuming to lecture those really smart dudes in their in their towers. How dare. With their hats. With <laughs> <laughs> their chains. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Uh-huh. All right. So yeah. let's talk about what really happened. Um, the stolen dragon eggs. Right. Uh, so what eggs did she steal? I, I, we talked about this last episode. I want the eggs to have been Dreamfire's eggs that were born on Fair Isle. Because mm-hmm. that has significance. Right. It can, it can be. Right. There's room in the text for the maester to just be wrong about which eggs hatched. Mm-hmm. Um, it, there is also significance to the eggs being just eggs and like not knowing right what dragon they come from right you know so right because i don't know but like a part of why it's so hard for me to like break like to like separate that you know like the eggs from danny is like these eggs end up with the sea lord of bravos that's who Alyssa Farman sells the eggs to. Oh no, these eggs. That, that yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, it's so hard. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, it's no. so hard. I'm for just me saying. To... I don't know. I don't know if these eggs are the ones Dreamfire laid on Fair right. Isle. 
Right. They don't have That's to be. That's a question. Yeah. They don't right. actually. No, but yeah, these are right. definitely, these are definitely eggs that Danny gets. Oh, these are Danny's eggs. Yeah. For like, sure. These are Danny's oh, no eggs. And whether or not these yeah. are the three conspicuous eggs that the Lannisters want from Fair Isle, right. they don't have to be the same thing. But like, right. whatever eggs Alyssa steals, whether or not they're the ones from Fair Isle, they end up with the Seal Lord of Bravos. And wow, isn't that like just perfectly poised to be eggs that get discovered? <laughs> yep. Um, especially because, oh, what is, um, oh, what does Jaharis say? Oh, where's that line? He has a really good line. I just love that Alyssa Farman went into, like, the dragon caves and, like, picked up eggs and said, mm, this one feels plot relevant, and this one feels plot relevant, and this one feels plot. I'll just take these three then. Thank mm-hmm. you. <laughs> oh, he says in, on page 209, um, when, right, so Reyna eventually goes to... Jaharis and is like, fuck, my girlfriend stole some eggs to buy to yeah. buy herself a ship. Um she like doesn't tell him for a while, which like super makes sense that she's, she's like, trying to find him. Yeah, she she's trying to find him first. She doesn't want to she yeah. doesn't want to tell her brother that like her girlfriend stole eggs mm-hmm. until she absolutely knows that they're stolen and she can't get them back. So she does mm-hmm. eventually um go to the Red Keep to tell her brother, um, that like she you know my girlfriend stole some eggs because she wants to you know to sell a ship um and then like ben um maester benifer says they may not hatch not away from dragonstone the heat it is known some dragons simply turn to stone um also here's it is known um mm. ding number 1 um and then jaharis responds then some spice monger in Pentos will find himself possessed of three very costly stones. And I'm like, thanks, Martin. Wow. Yep. Look at that. Yep. Look at that we foreshadowing. Got we got it. Do you, do you fucking, do you fucking get it? Do you, do get you it? fucking get it? <laughs> <laughs> There's a dude in Pentos who's going to have stone eggs. <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Know what I mean? You'll you get it. <laughs> so yeah, whether or not these are the three, like the fact that he says three, that we know that it's three stones, it's three yeah. eggs that end up with the Sea Lord of Bravos, and he references some spice monger from Pentos. I'm like, oh look, mm-hmm. it's Danny's eggs. Yes. Oh no, these are absolutely Danny's eggs. Yeah, absolutely, a hundred percent Danny's right. eggs. But we also don't know for certain that these are Dreamfire eggs. Right. We know that That's, they are eggs from yeah. Dragonstone, but we don't know if they're Dreamfire eggs. Yeah. I also just like I don't know, I'd have to think about it more if if there is there significance to how the eggs got there being like is there significance to Danny's story that the way the eggs got there is by being stolen by a non-Targaryen and brought over or and specifically being stolen by a lesbian and being brought over, you know, or is it just like it doesn't have to be significant. I'm just wondering if there is cuz if it was Dreamfire's eggs, there is significance to that. Uh-huh. Right, the connection from Reyna to Daenerys over yep. the centuries and Reyna's dragon giving the power to change the system mm-hmm. directly to Daenerys is significant. And that that's like a tie I like. And if I was gonna adapt to the screen, that's a tie I yep. would wanna make. Yep. Um But is there is there significance to Alyssa Farman's involvement and how this ends up? I don't know if it's specifically about Alyssa Farman and her being a lesbian, even though I want that to be true. But mm-hmm. it is interesting to note that the journey these dragons take is the same journey that Danny and Viserys take. They are stolen away from Dragonstone. They end mm. up in Bravos in the Sea Lord's house. Mm. And then eventually Danny hatches. Danny mm. comes into her own and finds power 
in Essos. And yeah. these eggs will too. Oh, I like that parallel. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That's a very nice parallel. Yeah, that Danny and her eggs take the same journey from Westeros as like, mm. you know. They're both born on Dragonstone. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, unless they're Dreamfire's eggs that were born on Fair Isle. Right. Yeah. But they're they're both star and drag. So yeah, yeah. I like that parallel. I think that's a meaningful parallel. Mm-hmm. I think also maybe if you get into the like the reason behind Alyssa's flight was Reyna's behavior. Mm-hmm. And Reyna's behavior is because of the trauma from the patriarchy. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. as a woman in the patriarchy. Right. You know. And the fact that these the sort of in the same way the tools to the tools to change the system mm-hmm. are given to Danny from b- because of the suffering of her ancestors. Yeah, you know what I right. mean. Mm-hmm. Like there's still that kind of connection in, in that way, mm-hmm. in a sort of more emotional sense, right? Than a, a, a dragon on dragon sense, mm-hmm. right? And then you have the you have the symbolism of like if they are, and I really like the idea, even if these aren't the eggs from. Dreamfire's eggs from Pharaoh that they're still Dreamfire's eggs and again yeah if I were adapting this story they would still be Dreamfire's eggs they might not be the same mm-hmm. eggs that we you know from Pharaoh but there would be Dreamfire's eggs because then also like Reyna would be the source of Danny's power and like in that way that you're saying because like the dragon yeah. eggs and the you know inheriting the power from the patriarchy but also Alyssa Farman is a woman who is escaping patriarchal mm-hmm. control by like seeking freedom in a way that like a lot like becoming like a woman of the seas allows her to escape and find freedom mm-hmm. from patriarchy in a way that other women can't. Yeah. And so that she would also be inheriting that tradition of finding a way to escape from patriarchal control. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I like that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Alyssa also severely undersold these eggs. If she only sold them for enough money to make one ship, seriously, like <laughs> yeah, Harris even says that it would be enough to buy a fleet of ships. Those three eggs yeah. would be enough to buy a fleet of ships. Maybe she was just trying to fire sail them because she wanted to get rid of them as soon as possible. Yeah, yep, and get mm-hmm. get her ship going asap. Yes, but yeah, she ends up selling them to what did she say? The Sea Lord, a menagerie of yeah. some kind. Excuse me. Yes. Um, yeah, the Sea Lord of Bravos is menagerie. Um, I'm surprised, honestly, that Reyna told Jaharis. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was Reyna, I probably wouldn't have even said anything. Yes. I mean, except for the fact that maybe rumors would have gotten back to him. Yeah, I mean, we know that, like, the rumors were all around Dragonstone. That, like, they yeah. try and keep it secret. But, like, everyone on Dragonstone knew that dragons had been... Like, that, like, I'm pretty sure that Jaharis would have found out eventually. I also can't imagine that eggs haven't previously or later been stolen. Because, mm-hmm. like, there's so many people that work with the dragons. Right. Like, it's kind of like employees that shoplift from the stores they work for, you know? <laughs> like, there's so many people work for Walmart. Some of them take stuff from Walmart, you know? So many people work for the dragons. Like, and I imagine, like, they must keep track of eggs in, like, a written format. Mm-hmm. Like, they probably write down, like, Dreamfire, Clutch, this is the date three eggs these are the colors this is where they are right now mm-hmm. they're located in this area you know whatever like it's, they must keep track of it yeah i feel like we get that sense um in um house of the dragon with uh damon that, yeah, like, damon, that, like, hobby, yeah, yeah yeah damon's favorite hobby is cultivating the eggs yeah. like yeah. he at least i definitely believe has a journal where he knows yeah. exactly where every single egg on dragonstone is right exactly 
Because it says that they the, before the dragon keepers came to Reyna, they searched themselves mm-hmm. for a few days. So, like, they could have been like, shit, did we misplace them? Did we put them in the wrong section? Did we, <laughs> you know... Did somebody write the log wrong? Uh-huh. Who was on? St- who was on? Who had a shift last night? Come on, where the right. heck? You know. Yep. That they got like so. an egg log, an egg register. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Oh, I think that like she actually makes more money than to build the ship because it says the gold she received, she entrusted to the Iron Beck and used it to finance the building of the Sun Chaser. So from that, I feel like we might be able to imply that like she actually probably she got more. She got more. And she used some of it to build the sun chase. I would imagine the rest of it is just live an easy life for the rest of your life. Like, no matter yeah. what happens, if, you're, if your seafaring adventure fails, then, like, you've got money. I mean, if you're in a seafaring adventure, if you go become, like, a magic lady in the very far east who can travel through time and speak to people in their dreams, you know, I don't know. Maybe you become, maybe you do all kinds of things. Right, yeah. Maybe, maybe yeah. you develop, you, you know, decide you have a liking for, like, lacquered masks and, yeah. and cryptic and, and cryptic dream messages. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> if people are not aware, we are referencing the theory that Alyssa Farman becomes Quaithe. She totally does. I love that idea. She totally I don't know does. how accurate it is, but I love it. I would- oh, and I'm, I'm 110%. I will die on this hill. There's yeah. no way. And if Martin revealed it, true. I would be like, dude, I love it. I don't need to know how yeah. it happened. I, d- like, I don't need to understand all of it. But like, great, fantastic. That's what I'm saying. This story, has it's so complex and there's so many subparts. That you could take Alyssa Farman out. This is this is our, our we talked about this adaptation. What do we call it? Say uh, fair winds. Yes, fair winds. Yeah, we could take Alyssa Farman out and tell her life story, uh-huh. and it'd be so interesting. Yes, and it would then it would tie to Daenerys, not in Game of Thrones, but it would tie into A Song of Ice and Fire proper. And like I'm sure that, she, that her prophecies and her magic will have to do with the the culmination of whatever the story ends up being. So I mean, like. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yep. That could easily be like a three season miniseries. Mm-hmm. Right. That would be so good. Come on, HBO, get on the shit. Get on it. I want to give you my money. <laughs> yep. Um, I want to talk a little bit because we talked last time about kind of what's going on with Reyna. And I wanted to kind of yeah. dig into like how I would adapt this particular section if I were telling mm-hmm. the story. Like based on the fact that like we we liked we were really compelled by the idea that like Reyna's um like trying to you know, she's dealing with trauma and that she's being, she's trying to control her environment, but like keeping the people around her that she loves like really close to her, not wanting to lose them. Like if mm. I were adapting this part of the story, um, the way that I would do like Alyssa and Raina's relationship is one where like Alyssa sees what Raina is going through and is like actively trying to urge her to like heal and open up and like gain power, make friends, like you know let's go out let's see the world let's do things that like she's trying to like urge reyna in that direction but like reyna is still struggling with pain and trauma and like suspicion and hurt like she Mm. wants to be loved for herself um resents the power being taken from her is like dealing with all of this stuff so that when elissa leaves to me what when i look at this what makes sense is that she the blanks that she fills in is Oh, Alyssa is one of the people that only loved me for my dragons. My dragons, yep. Mm-hmm. And sure, she didn't want the power of the dragons, but like money. She like the dragons represent money and mm-hmm. freedom, and like Alyssa is just one more person who only saw me as a resource to fund their own desires rather than yeah. loving me for who I am. 
But there's like an interesting dramatic irony there because if Reyna had if Reyna had funded the building of Sun Chaser, mm-hmm. if Reyna had trusted Elisa yes. enough to leave and come back, uh-huh. that she could have funded the building of Sun Chaser, Alyssa could have had her adventure and returned, mm-hmm. and no dragon's eggs would have been stolen and there wouldn't have been this betrayal. Yep. Yep. And, but Alyssa on her end also felt betrayed because she's like, I'm not your prisoner. Yep. Like, you can't trap me here. Mm-hmm. You can't use your money to trap me here. Like, you use your money for all of these things. Yep. You'll, you'll do all of this stuff, but only if I'm uh, complacent with what you want. Yep. And as soon as I want to do something else, you won't support me in it. So she's, I mean, this is like a, it's like a double betrayal and like yeah. a beautiful little dramatic irony. Of, yep. Yeah. Yeah. I just communicated better. Yeah. Because I could see Alyssa feeling like, I mean, I could, I could script a scene where Alyssa's like, how are you any different from my father and my brother then? Yeah. They also wanted to trap me in one location and keep me like, I've all, you knew this about me when we got together that like, I mm-hmm. like adventures. I, I, I love sailing. You knew this mm-hmm. about me. You were supposed to be the thing that helped me get away from the men in my life who wanted to trap me in a particular location. And here you are doing the same thing. Right, exactly. Oh, that would be so great. <gasps> yeah. Oh, man. I love that. It's so delicious. I love that. I love, I I love the pain of it. Oh, it's so I good. love it. I love it. It's oh, so good. Um, yeah, that like, it, like they would, they just needed to communicate better. And like Raina needed mm-hmm. to be willing to trust that Alyssa would come back. And I think also communication wise, like they live very different lives. Mm-hmm. So Rain is a person who's been through a lot of trauma. Yep. Alyssa Farman, as far as we know, have, has not yep. been through a lot of trauma. She's been through your regular patriarchy trauma mm-hmm. of, like, trying to be married off or whatever. Like, she, she does, like, regular kind of stuff, but she's, like, more or less had a good upbringing. Yep. And had a good access to stuff. I mean, she's able to be a, a swashbuckling, swashbuckling lesbian. <laughs> and... The fact that she's able to do that is is evidence of how much privilege she has. Mm-hmm. So I imagine there's being a miscommunication between the two of them, too, because how is Alyssa to... Uh, Alyssa can't innately understand right. Raina's trauma. Mm-hmm. And if Raina's not explaining it and talking about it and connect, trying to connect on it, there's no, there's just no way right. to for those two people to understand each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, we should talk about the, the giant elephant in the room, which is that Targs aren't actually magic. What? <laughs> what, are you, what are you saying? What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? Uh-huh. The Targaryens are the most, they're so magic. They're only, only them can ride dragons. Mm-hmm. And, but we should still be concerned about the dragon eggs elsewhere because there might be another dragon lord because what, somebody, there might be, you know what, there might be Valyrian blood. There might be some there Valyrian blood out there. There could be a secret Targ somewhere. There could be a secret Targ somewhere, Gretchen. We have to get the eggs back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is such a, like, uh, nail in the coffin of the idea that only Tars can ride dragons. Because, like, look, if yeah. only Tars could ride, ride dragons, Jaehaerys should not be bothered about any of this. No one would be bothered about any of this if only Tars could ride dragons. Yeah. They'd be like, oh no, some eggs. Bleh. Whatever. Like, that's fewer eggs for us. Right, exactly. They'd be like, oh, congratulations. You, now you have eggs that are probably not going to hatch. And even if you hatch them, what the fuck are you doing with it? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. 
You're not magic. Right. You can't do it. But they're clearly concerned about someone establishing a power base, which, like, could only happen if that person could ride a dragon. So, like... Like... Anyway, I just read stuff like this, and then when I when I see that there are people who are still kind of, like, beating the drum of, like, Tars are magic and only Tars can ride dragons, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you, buddy. Like, Martin is giving us all of the, like, all the clues we need to know that, like, Targ, targ exceptionalism and the idea that only mm-hmm. Tars can ride dragons is bullshit. It's all propaganda. Imagine if the Dothraki figured out that they could ride dragons. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my God. Because they're all into like you know the mount and the stallion that mounts the world. I, like I think of I think one of the fulfillments of the prophecy of the stallion that mounts the world is Daenerys landing on Drogon yep. amongst the Dothraki at the end. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people speculate about what's going to happen to her there. Right. I think she's going to just take them over at that point because yes, that's mounting the world. Mm-hmm. Riding a dragon is mounting the world. Yep. That's that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, how much more badass mount can you get besides a fucking dragon? Right. You know, right. that's the kind right. of thing they I mean, worship. It's, it's patriarchy is the reason why they were like, when they see the vision of the stallion who mounts the world and they assume it's like the tiny it, infant. It must, ma- be the vi- it must be the fetus. It must be it that must be male fetus. fetus inside of Danny. It can't possibly yeah. be Danny herself. Right, exactly. Um, but like they need to, you know, they need to spread this propaganda that it's it's magic because otherwise lots of people would try... To ride them mm-hmm. and when we get to the dance of dragons i i will argue at that time that i think part of part of the downfall of house targaryen is things that happen during the dance with non-targaryens riding dragons yep. and how that chips away at the image mm-hmm. so i think jaharis is is genuinely afraid of like another tar- another dragon stronghold yep but also the fact that like that proves that their their dragon stronghold is not special yeah it would threaten it would definitely like threaten their um the perception that they're they're magical and special and the only ones in charge and it would threaten the doctrine of exceptionalism yeah yeah which is in the forefront of his brain right now and i think that at this point there are people who suspect that that's not true because i'm also thinking about like why else would the lannisters so desperately want to buy Mm-hmm. Raina's eggs. Like, if some part of them, if some part of them didn't believe that they could control the dragons, they would again. They would have no reason to want to buy them, right? From Raina, if they well, didn't if think you, that they could control them. I mean, think about what they're seeing, right? Mm-hmm. You're a Lannister. Raina Targaryen comes with her dragon. How is she riding it? She has a saddle. Yep. And a whip. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a horse. Yeah, right. Just sounds like a horse with wings. <laughs> Sounds like a horse with rings. Like, it doesn't sound like it's anything magic. It sounds like you put a saddle and you have a whip. And, I mean, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they don't have bridles, but they, I imagine they t- they kind of hold on somewhere uh, on there. I'm not sure if they do anything to direct the dragons besides, like, Legs. leaning in a particular direction. Uh-huh. Yeah, they could probably, like, do leaning and stuff like that. But it's just, like, that's how you ride a horse. Mm-hmm. Yep. So... There's no magic wand. There's nothing sparkling. Mm-hmm. There's no nothing like that at all. It's just it's just a, the biggest boy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I could definitely. I am. I'm sure there are people that suspect, especially once you see it happen, mm-hmm. to suspect that it's not magic. Right. To be like, maybe I could do that. Yeah. Right. Like I can ride a horse. Why not mm-hmm. ride a dragon? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, especially if you start with a hatchling. Uh-huh. That you get to train. Right. You know. Yes. Um, 
I also, so the next thing about this section that I want to read is this lovely little quote. Mm-hmm. Um, again, on page 209, and this is Jaharis. Um, Should the dragons turn up anywhere from here to Yiti, we will demand their return. They were stolen from us. They are ours by right. If that demand should be denied, then we must needs go and get them. Take them back if we can. Kill them if not. And I'm like, oh, oh, Jaharis, so so you seem to understand that, like, something can belong to someone by right? And if it gets oh. stolen, they oh. deserve to get it back? How How interesting that you seem to understand that about eggs, but not, like, Thrones. I don't understand what you're getting at, Gretchen. Thrones. I, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. What are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? What are you trying, Women you should trying inherit. To That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I, I don't understand what you're getting at. He's the king. I don't. He. They're his by right. As is Westeros, the entire country. Yeah. Right. Uh-huh. The land of Westeros is his by right. Yeah, his by right. What? And if it's stolen, like, he should get it back. And I just want to be like, okay, so like stolen eggs, one thing. Stolen thrones, totally a different thing. Yeah. Thrones cannot be stolen. <laughs> Only eggs. Only dragon eggs. Um, yeah, uh, just another one of those where I'm just like, oh, yeah, Martin, you know what you're doing. You're, you're trying to get yeah. us to recognize just like the, the deep hypocrisy of patriarchy of yeah. like, I have a right to the symbols of power. They are mine by right. Like, women mm. definitely don't, though. They don't have a right, right to power, symbolic or otherwise. What I love about this text and all of his texts is that they so reward a reread. Yes. Because my very, I mean, I first read Fire and Blood years ago, but my very first read of it, I bought into, I mean, it was I bought everything at face value because mm-hmm. that's what's supposed to happen on your first read. Right. And, like, this seems so much like, those are, yeah, that's absolutely true. They were stolen and they do, they do demand them back. And they should get their property back, whatever, whatever. But then, like, yeah, on subsequent reads, you're like, oh, I see what you're doing. Right, right. I, oh, I get it, George. I get it. <laughs> if you believe that, what are the implications of believing that, like, you know, mm-hmm. something that's yours by right can be stolen and you deserve to have it back? What are what yeah. are the sweeping up, you know? <sighs> there are none. He is the king and he is the greatest. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you want to read this quote that Reina has? Oh, yes. So we had talked about this previously. Yeah. So this is on 210. Uh-huh. This is, um, Jaharis uh, Je- is basically like, if we go to get these eggs, if we if we figure out where they are, we have to go get them. You and I will go get them, but not Alisan. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I ha- she had no part in this. I'm not going to put her at risk. And uh, the text says, the queen in the east smiled then, quote, she is Rainus, and I am Visenya. I have never thought otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, George, I already knew that. You didn't have to put it in the text. <laughs> I felt really smart when we've highlighted this dichotomy earlier, and I liked that we found this parallel on our own, yep. okay? I didn't need to be told it directly, but thank you for confirming mm-hmm. the parallel that's there on page. Yeah, you get to, like, you know, dust off your shoulders like, thank you, George. I already yeah. knew that, actually. We figured... We figured this out. Um, I know how yeah, to read I your mean, symbolism. I, think... <laughs> I know what a literary parallel is. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, that's, it's sort of interesting because I get the parallel mm-hmm. in, in within their personal relationship. Right. But the parallel is completely absent in their political situation. Yes. 
because Visenya was the primary power mm-hmm. and Reyna has no power. Yep. Here. Mm-hmm. So it's not really, a, it's a parallel to highlight that, I suppose. Right. Right. Yeah, that like she is considered as being kind of like the marshaled, disfavored sister in the like, she's not the pretty one. Who gets like? She's older. She's the older yep, sister. She's the older sister. She's not the pretty one. She's the dangerous one. She's the spooky, scary sister. She's the spooky, scary. <laughs> Sometimes you're a spooky, scary sister. <laughs> right. She's not the sexy one. She's the spooky, scary one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, and even with her, just like hanging out on Dragonstone with her kid, is a lot like Visenya hanging out on Dragonstone with Magor. With with her kid. With her yeah. kid. um except that yeah you're right like the one difference is that like like visenya was actually in charge yeah visenya had like real agency to do stuff yep and reyna does not and we're talking like not that many generations away (laughs) reyna's what visenya's granddaughter Mm -hmm. yep right yep so like i mean they were alive at the same time at one point yep and already the disempowerment mm-hmm. of women has hit the Targaryen family very hard. Yeah. Right. You know. Absolutely. As they become more like the other houses. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, do you want to talk about electing the new pope? <laughs> so I, I had a nitpick here. And I, just, I appreciated I, your nitpick. I just, I have a nitpick here. It's not important, but it's, it's our podcast and I could say what I want. So this is my nitpick. When they're on, when when Jaehaerys and Allison are on their way to Old Town, they want to bring their people with them. Jaehaerys wants to bring Joffrey Doggett, and uh, Allison wants to bring John Cole Dark to as their like protectors. Mm-hmm. And the text has this little detail where it's like they all went on Dragonback, but it was Jaehaerys and John Quill on one, and Allison and Joffrey Doggett on the other to balance the weight between <laughs> the dragons. So first of all, how much? <laughs> How different in weight do you think these people are? You have two knights who are in full plate armor, I assume, mm-hmm. if that's what they're wearing on the dragon. Um, plus, they've got to have luggage because they keep stopping places. They stop on two. They stop two places on the way, right. so they got to have bags on these dragons. Uh-huh. Jay Harris and Alisan are not that different in size. Right. These are both teenagers. That uh-huh. it's not like he doesn't have like two hundred pounds on her or something like that. Right. And all of this is pointless because you're talking about riding dragons, okay? They're not going to be weighed down by the addition of an additional person. This is like, as a, as a recovering horse girl, as a person that rode horses for a long time, people often think, like people that don't know about <coughs> horses very much, think that sitting on the horse hurts the horse or is heavy for the horse. Mm-hmm. You have to think about it proportionally. Horses weigh like many thousands of pounds. Or I'm not sure exactly how much they weigh, uh, but they weigh like a lot in comparison to what a human weighs. Yep. So if you think about it proportionally, it's like if you had on your back like a stuffed animal or like something very lightweight. Like it's just proportionally they're much bigger and denser than you. A dragon probably doesn't even know you're there. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, they're so we're talking huge dinosaur level creature. Yep. There's no way... That it can tell the difference. That 80 between... pounds is really important, Caroline. <laughs> There's no way. There's no way 
that it can it could possibly tell. They probably have no idea a person's even on them, except that they see them get up there. Like it's it's as if they like imagine if you had a peanut on your shoulder. That's what you're taking <laughs> instructions from. There's no way that it matters. It it might matter for the smaller dragons, like when they're babies, yeah. like we see in House of the Dragon, mm-hmm. um, with um oh, I forget which one the the kid that gets chomped by Vagar. Oh yeah. Um uh-huh. I forget which child that is. But like if it's a baby it's J- dragon it's and it's Jace, just... right? It's the old... No. No, Jace is the oldest one. Jace is the oldest. Luke. Luke, yeah, it's Luke. Luke. Uh you know, that dragon is just barely able to hold a, a person because that dragon is itself a baby. Yeah. But we're talking Thor and Silverwing. Yeah, like think... These are um, full-grown dragons. Think Caraxes in House yeah. of the Dragon. If you want to think about the size and scale, you're, we're talking like the size of um, of Damon's dragon or right. even of Rhaenyra's dragon. Like, mm-hmm. they're big enough that they could carry more than one person. Absolutely. And not be, like, weighed down. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, it was such a weird, random little detail. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. It was the implication, like, well, these two guys are so buff. They can't be on the same dragon because of their buffness. Yeah. They're too heavy. They'll too weigh the dragon down. Way too, too heavy. heavy. Giant dicks. They can't be on there. Like. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know why they did it. Like, that's, it's a really weird thing because yeah balancing the weight doesn't make sense but like why else would you i don't um, know unless joffrey doggett like wanted to hang out with allison right right or like they didn't want to be like oh two two dudes riding on a dragon that's kind of gay it's gay two dudes on a dragon six feet apart because they're not gay yeah people think we're gay (laughs) but like i don't actually think they thought that way is the thing like i yeah i don't think that as a society they were concerned about whether or not people thought that they were into you know like you're a dragon you can fuck you're a you're a targaryen you can fuck whoever you want um yeah. no one's gonna say anything and no one's gonna care um right. and you'll just eat them if they do right you yeah if they do them. you just you just burn them and eat them uh, delicious uh, i don't know it was a weird it's one of those things that i wonder if it's got more of a doorless explanation right that like george thought that was like a thing to worry about yeah right I, but i don't know uh-huh. it's it was just so weird anyway totally useless completely irrelevant to the rest of the analysis but I, I, that really grounded my gears when I saw uh-huh. that. <laughs> um, I really love the thin veneer excuse that they come up with for them to go to Old Town. I just, yes. it delights me so much that they're like, you know, they clearly are like, well, we have to, we have to influence who the next Pope is because we, we want to make sure mm-hmm. the next Pope is on our side. And like, mm-hmm. Rego Draz is like, well, how about we bribe them? Um, like, you know, Damon Valarion is like, let's send some ships and threaten them, you know, like, mm-hmm. let's have a, like, a visible show of force that's, you know, much more visible, I guess, than a dragon. Um, mm-hmm. like, one of them suggests, like, what if we, like, assassinate Yeah, him? I'll be, like, <laughs> the, the Master of Laws is like, well, you know, what if Septon Matthias was just, I don't know, um, have a sudden and mysterious death? Mm-hmm. Like, what if that were to happen? Um, and like, like, Alisanne and Jaharis are like, <gasps> yeah, Alice and Jaharis are shocked. Yeah. How could you say, How can you say that? Things? Um, but then it says he and his queen would go to Old Town at once. Um, his high holiness had been a leal servant to the gods and a staunch friend of the Iron Throne. It was only right that they be there when they see him laid to rest. Like their excuses, like. 
He was our friend. We're just coming to yeah. the funeral. I don't know what you're talking we about. Gotta, we gotta go to the funeral. We definitely gotta so go to nice. the funeral. Even though the funeral's definitely gonna happen while we're on our way. Like, we still gotta be there. We gotta be there. We gotta rush there. We gotta take our dragons there. Uh-huh. Because as the fastest way to get there is by dragon. Yep. So. Yep. That's what we gotta do. Mm-hmm. And they they do. And they and do. And then, then they do they do the wonderful landing on Old Town we were talking about in our recap. Yes. Um, with Allison landing on the high tower. Like, what an incredible metaphor mm-hmm. that that turned out to be. Right. You know. Yep. She just go. She went for the high. She took the high ground and mm-hmm. knew the power of like the most dramatic entrance possible. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Jaharis was in the courtyard, like looking up at her, and he was like, "God, I." fucking should have done that yeah oh god that was a better idea like why didn't you tell me i would have done it too right Uh (laughs) uh-huh right and just like the the power of that moment of like even your highest tower cannot save you like oh yeah we can fly up here guess what dragons can go high (laughs) the physical like visual of that is like it's like metaphorical it's physical it's like I can I can fly over your highest tower. I'm taller than you. I have the higher ground than you. Mm-hmm. I'm not afraid of the fire up here. Yep. Yep. That's another thing. Right. You know, yeah, because like, the because the, the high tower has like a signal fire on top. Yeah. And and like the fact that it's also the symbol of the house high towers. Mm-hmm. And to be like, fuck your fucking tower. I'm a dragon. Uh-huh. Like amazing. Yep. Amazing. I'm sure that I, this is that kind of detail that kind of probably just like fell together as the story fell together. Yeah. And I'm sure when George R. R. Martin thought of, thought of this, he was like, oh my God. It's so good. She's going to land on top of the tower. Mm-hmm. It's going to be so great. Oh my God. <laughs> yep. Oh, imagine the visual of that, like in a story, like in a show. Yeah, because it, so it says like um, the beating of Silverwing's wings fanning the flames of the beacon. So, like, that's mm-hmm. also like kind of a threat in like a oh, really yeah. subtle way of like oh you because think- i could have blown it out yeah, yeah you think you know fire mm-hmm. we know fire we can make fires yeah. bigger and we are yeah. not afraid of fire um yeah. yeah and then the response is like the septons looked at one another and thought on dragons and it's like yeah that's the point congratulations you figured yep. it out good job <laughs> this was what you were supposed to do is be like Excellent. oh shit dragons um yeah. maybe we shouldn't elect the guy who hates um who hates Them. the targs yeah maybe we don't exactly septon matthew um yeah yeah um yeah so but- they get a good they get a good septum in who's like targaryens are exceptional thumbs up yep um and yeah it does say that they promise um like because there are like a bunch of high towers who are septons because you know Mm-hmm. The the high towers are the the you know the lordly house of this area. So like a bunch of mm-hmm. their family are septons. And even though even though you're we supposed to like renounce your family when you join the septons, like you know you know sometimes you want to be high septon. Mm-hmm. You know sometimes yes. Sometimes. And so they promise that after septon Alvin dies. Um, they will, uh, they will elect a high tower next. That the next Septon after Alfin uh, is definitely going to be a high tower. They will, they will remember. As long as the high towers as Septons during Alfin's reign mm-hmm. are staunch loyalists to Star- Targaryen exceptionalism. Yep. 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 Um. Yeah. Very, very good use of 
the dragons. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we have the scene that we already talked about where Alisan um, lectures lectures the maesters. How dare she? How, How dare she do that? Um, yeah, and then uh, okay, so the next section, folks, this is going to be trigger warning for uh, traumatic childbirth and traumatic um, pregnancy. So um, if you are someone for whom that is a trigger, feel free to tap out. Um mm-hmm. Because we're probably going to be talking about most of this till the very end. We will come back towards the end to talk about some themes. Um, uh, I want to talk about Martin's view of religion and kind of what we get, the sense of what we get in religion here um, mm-hmm. at the very end. So I'd say skip ahead till like, I don't know, 20 minutes till the, the end, probably. But um, yeah, somewhere around that mark is when we'll stop talking about Alyssa. But yeah, this is going to be, it's going to be pretty harrowing. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, take care of yourself be safe and if you don't end up finishing the rest of the episode we'll see you next time uh next yeah. time we're going to be reading till the end of this chapter so um we're just mm-hmm. going to finish out this section yes definitely all right so getting into Alyssa's final pregnancy is this her this is her eighth child right? yes number eight okay so uh as we talked about you know she gets pregnant and mm-hmm. it does not turn out so great um yeah. So you have some a note here about the symbolism of a pregnant crone. Yeah. Okay. Talk so about that. on page two sixteen, um, it says when when Alisan and Jaharis are arrive at Dragon at Storm's End, um, it says uh, Alisan and Jaharis found their mother asleep in a bed that stank of urine, drenched in sweat, and gaunt as a crone, save for her swollen belly. So mm. she's being depicted as simultaneously a crone and a mother. Um, mm. And there's some really cool symbolism there. Like she's simultaneously someone who is bringing life into the world because she's pregnant. Um, mm. So she is a life giver and also like a keeper of the portal of death. We haven't talked as much mm. about what the crone symbolism is, but like a lot of crone symbolism um, both in A Song of Ice and Fire and kind of in real world mythology, whenever you have like a mother maiden crow dichotomy, like the crone is often associated like, yes, with wisdom, um, but also, and part of that being a keeper of wisdom is like being a keeper of portals and doorways. And one of those mm-hmm. is often the portal to the underworld. That like, yes, like the crone can be associated as a kind of psychopomp figure. And the psychopomp is like the, the, the person who like ferries you to the underworld, who like accompanies the dead. Mm-hmm. Doesn't the crone also must rose carry a, carry a lamp? Yes. Yep. She carries Isn't a lantern. Thing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a, as that like wisdom lighting the way, you know, directing you to you know the mysteries and also the afterlife. So it's such cool symbolism here that she is simultaneously a crone and a mother. She is bringing life and also a portal to death at the same mm-hmm. the exact same time um so like martin is doing a thing there with like i mean even if we didn't know that she's probably gonna die like that idea of like a pregnant crone is like mm-hmm. the like a person who is simultaneously a bringer of life and also someone who represents passing over into death like yeah at the same time and that's just like a really cool i really i i really like the symbolism that he's doing there yeah yeah, um, I like that a lot. It makes me think of that, um, oh, in the world of Ice and Fire, there's that ancient, there's that culture that, like, only women are warriors. 
because I'm not sure. Um, I forget where it is, but it's somewhere in Essos where like there is a culture that where that has the same symbolism where like the women are the warriors because they're like we make life. We also are the only ones who can take it. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it's like a like an older culture in in Essos. Um, mm-hmm. of like women as both life and death bringers, which mm-hmm. um, we see with Danny as well. Like the same symbolism of like Daenerys Targaryen is both um, mother of dragons and mother of monsters. Like she mm-hmm. she brought life into the world, but she also could be seen as someone who brings death and is right. like associated with like the bringing of death in a way that that's mm-hmm. like very like crone symbolism too. So like Danny has mm-hmm. the same dichotomy as well of like bringer of life bringer of death mm-hmm. um so yeah the pregnant crown and with Alyssa, as we're as we'll get into in in this particular circumstance in order for her to bring life mm-hmm. she had to die yes given the circumstances of this time period mm-hmm. so there's like a direct link between those things here yep. like in an immediacy like an immediate link between those things mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. yeah oh i love that uh-huh um uh, also fuck so Rogar. Well, fuck fuck yeah. fuck Rogar. Fuck Rogar yeah. who's just like I was gonna say while Alyssa's inside being uh, the wonderful symbol, the wonderful literary symbol that we love, Rogar is outside like drunk. Yep. Yep. He's just like drunk and upset. And like Jaharis is like, go be with your wife. And he's like, no, because there's death in that room and that freaks me out and I don't like it. And he says it smells. Yeah. He says you could smell it. Uh-huh. And I'm like, yeah, but this is your problem too. You can't just sit outside. Right. This is your wife who is dying because she's pregnant because you fucked her and you and she got pregnant with your baby. Like, this is your wife mm-hmm. and your child. And you're like, I don't know. It, death, mm-hmm. death makes me feel uncomfy and I don't like how it smells. So I'm going to sit out here mm-hmm. and be drunk. And I'm just like, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, you and coward. This is very much, this is very much like the the scenes that we get in House of the Dragon yes. in episode one mm-hmm. with... um. Emma. Yep. Targaryen. Right. And even with uh, uh, Damon and Lena. Yes. Similar, yep. yes. Um, though, as far as we know here, it seems like Alyssa's unconscious the entire yep. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Though, I think, does it say that she wakes up briefly and sees the kids there? Or, or that is, it, is that the fake story? Because there's like a little fake story in there about how she woke up and she gave her consent and mm-hmm. she said like, you know, I'll go see my boys in heaven pretty much. Like, save my child, whatever. Yeah! that's on page 217 it says um in many accounts that we have come to see with us we are told that queen Alyssa woke from her sleep before the maester could begin um she cried tears of joy to see her children um alisanne told her that they were gonna cut the baby out and Alyssa says Alyssa gave her a sense save my babe she whispered i will go see my boys again the crone will light my way and i'm just like i don't fucking believe that i just i don't think she woke up nope I don't think she woke up. Yeah. It says, sad to say, yeah. other accounts tell us that her grace did not, um, um, her grace died without waking um, mm-hmm. when the maester opened her belly. Which, like, I mean, like, one, she was drugged. She'd had sweet sleep already. Yeah. So she was already passed out. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like if she were to wake up while they were doing the surgery, it would not to be like, yes, please save my baby. No. I'm going to give you this really eloquent, beautiful, like, elegy before no. I die. No, it would be like screaming yes. in pain. Yeah, yeah. We, it would happen yeah. the way that we saw in House of the Dragon where Emma mm-hmm. was awake when they started and she just screamed. 
Yeah. That, like, if she woke up at all, it would not be to, like, be like, I'm super okay with this. Kill me to save right. my baby. I guess my hope is that she just didn't yes. wake up. Yeah. And I actually That's think... My, that is my hope. Much more yeah. likely that she's drugged, and by the time they started the surgery, like, her body would have gone into shock and she wouldn't have woken up. That's right, what I exactly. hope happened, is that she just had yeah. no idea. Right. Cause, exactly. Because, like... That was part of what made watching House of the Dragon so harrowing for me. It was that, like, Emma was awake. And they're like, this yeah. is fine. We're just going to start cutting into her mm. while she's, like, awake and aware. And it was, like, just really, really horrifying. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because I, I do think that, like, t- talking to friends. Like, I'm not a mother. I don't have my own children. Mm-hmm. I have friends that do. And actually, when House of the Dragon first premiered, my best friend had just... um had her first baby baby a few months prior and my best friend went through a very very difficult birth it was like an emergency c-section everyone's fine now mm-hmm. but it was like really touch and go there for a while mm-hmm. for both mom and baby so it was like a whole thing right uh and i watched the first episode and i told her i'm like listen show is good but like mm-hmm. so you know yep. the end of this episode has this like really traumatic birth scene you might want to skip it uh-huh. and she watched it um and her feeling about it afterwards was she she said a similar criticism a lot of people had which is like why didn't anyone ask emma like why didn't anyone talk to emma about it because my bet my best friend's feeling about it having just given birth she was like uh, if that was me i would have told them uh, yeah save the baby like sacrifice me save the baby and there are there are absolutely women mm-hmm. who feel that way right. about their pregnancies and feel that way going into childbirth mm-hmm. um and then there are women who do not. Right. And it just depends on your the character you have mm-hmm. on, on page, on screen, whatever. Alyssa, I'm curious what Alyssa would have thought at the time. Mm-hmm. If she had a choice. Right. What she would have done. Because we don't get a lot of character. We see her being a really good mom to her, her kids mm-hmm. when she's given the chance. <clears throat> but we don't know if she wanted this baby, if right. she, you know... If she kind of knew she wasn't going to make it out of this one, um, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what she would have done Mm -hmm. in that circumstance. And again, the maesters are like, well, we can't possibly save her, but we can possibly save the baby Mm -hmm. when that might not actually be medically true. Yep. Yeah, so this came up when I guested on um, Unabashed Book Snobbery and we were talking about Mm -hmm. that episode where I, you know, I brought up that, like, or no, I think it was the, when we were talking about Lena and I brought up the fact yeah. that, that, you know, the similar thing happened that like there are actual surgical ways to save the mother in this mm-hmm. environment, but it would involve killing the baby. Like the maesters, right. both in the show and in this book, make it out like, well, I mean, the only option is either we let them both die or we kill the mom and save the baby. And like mm-hmm. I happen to know, and not everyone knows this, so it's fine, but like I happen to know that like that's not the only option. There were mm-hmm. options where, like, that would involve, like, basically cutting the baby in pieces and pulling it out. Right. Um, exactly. That we know that these practices exist because we have them, like, written down. That, like, these were mm-hmm. things that, like, people knew how to do in ancient times. Mm-hmm. That, like, they knew that, like, sometimes you could save that that you could actually save a mother in a situation where like the baby is breached or turned around or like stuck Mm -hmm. or um Mm -hmm. potentially if you knew that the baby had already died but like the mom is having trouble 
like like labor is not progressing and and like is not working mm-hmm. like there are ways to save the mom in this situation this like the, the there are not just two options like the maesters make it sound like there are only two options but there are not just two options there are more than two options yeah and it robs it of its of its moral grayness so actually so after you were on the episode uh, about lena um i i looked it up to to research more about this uh-huh. and you're obviously obviously you're absolutely correct and a lot of times when this that that method is employed is when the baby is is stuck in a way that it is impossible. Yep. It is it is impossible for the birth to proceed. Mm-hmm. And there are ways for babies to get stuck on the pubic bone where there's just yep. there's nothing else you could do. Yep. All you have is a stuck baby mm-hmm. and if you leave it everyone dies. Uh-huh. Or you have to either you know sac- sacrifice mom or sacrifice baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of part of where that method was developed right. and it's it's you know it's very sad and disturbing yes. to think about yep but it is an available thing and sometimes you have to do it if you have a, a situation where you're having a birth and the baby is stuck and there is no way to get this baby out you've done everything you can mm-hmm. to try to get this baby out and you can't you you only have the one option left mm-hmm. so yeah and that you know modern medicine we've developed these things to 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 deal with that mm-hmm. um not including that in the television show and not including that in the text, like not including that as an option, robs it of its moral grayness. Mm-hmm. Because if your option is either both die or one dies and you could possibly save the baby, everyone picks option two. Yeah. Yep. Everyone understands like, you know, this is shitty and horrible and mm-hmm. oof, this is like really traumatic, but obviously we're going to try to save the baby. But if you introduce the concept of either both die or or mom dies and baby lives or mom lives and baby dies uh-huh. then you introduce a real moral choice yep. that i wish was present yes in the story because yep. i think that is the interesting choice yep yeah and the revealing choice the choice that like under patriarchy 99 percent of the men if they are offered this choice are going to choose to save the baby because that baby could be a boy right that that might be their son that might be yeah. their son and like their son like a potential son is more valuable than like a living woman like and that's the commentary that is missing Uh because that option is missing yep yes and i don't know if i don't know if martin just wasn't aware of it or he's hoping that the audience knows like in the way that Mm -hmm. i come to this and i'm like well i happen to know that exists so when i read the maesters doing that i am reading this as like well like this is also a part of patriarchy that like the maesters can't imagine anything right. that would require the feature, death of a baby right is it a feature not a bug yes i guess is the question yeah and i don't know if, which it is i think it's a bug yeah i do think it's a bug i think it could have been a feature in the show because we had your parallel emma and lena mm-hmm. uh situation right lena was in essos yep. at the time yep. so they could have easily written it that like oh we have this procedure in essos that we can do mm-hmm. to save mom and have Damon choose not to. Yep. And then have Lena flee. Uh-huh. Like, that would have made sense to me. Yep. But they didn't. Mm-hmm. Like, they, it never was introduced in the script. And the vast majority of viewers and readers are not going to know about that. Right. Yep. Because it's a, it's a very rare, very specific, very upsetting procedure mm-hmm. to even think about. Yeah. So most most people don't know about mm-hmm. it. Um, so I, I tend to think it's a bug, Yeah, that, like, Martin wasn't aware of it. And so mm-hmm. it's not included. Um that it that it's a failure of his imagine like not necessarily his imagination but like he he just didn't know that this was a thing mm-hmm. 
And so we are like, and, but the result is, is that we're faced with a situation where like most people are going to be like, well, it's better that at least one of them survive rather than both of them die. Exactly. And like, so that's what I'm saying. It robs it of yes. that moral grayness. Yep. Like that's the, the choice between both die or one lives. The correct choice is obviously one lives. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah, I mean, the only, the only possible exception that I could say, the only point where I feel like I wonder if Martin is aware of it is Reyna's reaction. Because Reyna, Reyna says, save my wife, you should have said, but what are wives to men like you? Yeah. Like, at least Reyna is like, you could have said save my wife, mm-hmm. but like, how would she know, like, I don't know if she knows that there's a surgical procedure, Right, that there's actually a practical way to. But, like, she at least recognizes that someone in this setting should remember that they that the options are not both die or mom dies. That there mm-hmm. might have been a way to save it. Because, I mean, I'm even thinking about, because um, one of the notes that I have is, like, even when she's, um, when she being Alyssa is um, in pain, and like they give her sweet sleep, but like, um, oh, where is it that he says that like, um, mm, like if it's stronger? Oh it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Milk of the poppy, the milk of the poppy would relieve the queen's pain. He said, and he had a strong draft rep- prepared, but it would kill her grace as easily as help her, and would most certainly kill the baby. So even when they're considering how to treat the fact that Alyssa is in terrible pain, they're like, ooh, mm-hmm. well, we can't give her too much because it might kill the baby. Like, mm-hmm. and I got to tell you, that is a feature of modern medicine as well. Mm-hmm. So when I, uh, I got to watch my best friend go through her first pregnancy, um, and that is that is how at least her experience and from speaking to other people as well. Right. Once you are pregnant, you're like the baby incubator. Mm-hmm. And if things are uncomfortable for you, the doctors are pretty much like, deal with it. Yep. They're like, too too bad, so sad. That's you're, that's how that's how it's going to be. Right. Helping you could pregnant. hurt the baby and we can't imagine doing hurting the baby. So like, right. suck it up. Exactly. It really, it really is like that. And I remember my best friend going to like various doctor's appointments and things like that and having complaints. And I'd be like, well, certainly we have modern medicine. Something can be done for this XYZ complaint. And she was like, nope, just have to, just have to be this way. Mm-hmm. And it was stuff where I'm like, there's no way we haven't figured out like th- this thus and such thing. And it was just like, you know, part of it too is a lot of medicines like they, they don't know right. what will hurt the baby. They don't want to risk it, which is like fair because mm-hmm. they'll get sued. Right. Um, but yeah, it's that, that aspect of this uh-huh. is so real. Yeah. That and that that makes this this section all the more upsetting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, yeah, we still even deal with this today. Um, these same kind of situations. Um, also, like the other, I mean, the other added layer is just like the the assumption that this is a boy, which like mm-hmm. is like on the one hand very silly because like fifty fifty chance that it's a boy or a yeah. girl, but like it's necessary to assume it's a boy in order for the system. This system that's in place that we're talking about, the system where, like, the baby's life inherently matters more than the mother's yeah. life. Like, it is necessary to assume that the child is a boy in order for that system to stay in place. Yes. To justify the violence yes. against the woman. Yep. 
Yep, you have yep. to assume oh, that's a boy in order to justify the violence. So of course, of course, Rogar's like, save my son, doesn't hesitate. Same with, that we saw with Viserys in House of the Dragon was like, that's definitely a boy, save it. Like, mm-hmm. you have to assume that the child is a boy in order to justify the violence against the mother because that potential boy is worth more, his life is more mm-hmm. valuable than the actual living woman in front of you. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's like, and he just, like, cannot even imagine the idea of saving his wife over a potential male heir, even when Rogar already has a son. That's the other thing that gets me right. about this scene. Like, Viserys, yes. I'm like... Look, I hate it. I think it's gross, but I like I kind of understand a teensy bit why Viserys in House of the Dragon is like, save my son because he's mm. so desperate for a male heir. He doesn't have a son. He's, he's got that patriarchy brain. He's got too. really bad patriarchy. Patriarchy, patriarchy hurts everyone. Yes, hurts everyone. Yeah. But here is like, yeah. you already have a son. You already have an heir. You don't need another one. He doesn't have that many brains, okay? Maybe he forgot about the first one. <laughs> Maybe he got distracted. Shirokar does not have a lot of brains. <laughs> but the, the same issue of putting the baby before the mother is also not, not to get too political here on our uh, House of uh, Fire and Blood podcast, mm-hmm. but it's at the root of all the anti-abortion yes. laws as well. Mm-hmm. Right. That this concept that, like, the fetus is innately more important yes. than the woman. Mm-hmm. And... You know, that's, and what that ultimately leads to is extraordinary violence against women and their bodies Mm -hmm. and a a lack of agency and bodily autonomy Mm -hmm. and poor health care and situations like this. Yep. Yeah, that like we're meant to, I mean, read a situation like this and it's really effective, I think, that Martin, you know, that like I would say most modern readers reading this scene are going to be horrified. Like, justifiably yeah. horrified by, like, the mm-hmm. entire thing. Um, and having Reyna there to provide the commentary of, like, save my wife, you should have said. Like, you should have said save my wife. But, like, what are yeah. wives to men like you? I just, I love that line so much. It's so good. And such a great moment to, like, not just remind Rogar, but remind the reader that there are other mm-hmm. options. Yeah. Um, that like no matter how like no matter how much we might sympathize with the choices here, like that these are not the only choices available. Um mm-hmm. and I think that there are a lot of people who might read this, or at least some people who might read this and be like, Oh, that would never happen. Oh, thank goodness mm-hmm. we've moved beyond thank goodness we have C sections now where we don't have mm-hmm. to do this. And I'm like, No, but we still do. Yeah. Like it's not quite this graphic because sure, we can perform we can now perform surgery on the bodies of people who are pregnant and not have it kill them. But Mm -hmm. we make decisions about valuing the lives of a fetus more than the lives of living people every goddamn day. Every every friend of mine I have who's had a baby ever, and I now have a cluster of them because we're at that age, um, every one of them spoke to their partners before going into late, before birth, Mm -hmm. about that choice. Wow. And said, and said... All the people that were pregnant pregnant all said, you have to pick the baby. Um, most of the partners said no. <laughs> so, like, like my best friend's husband uh-huh. said, like, if I have to make a choice, I'm choosing you. I'm not choosing the baby. And they had, like, an argument about it. And mm-hmm. luckily it didn't become an issue. Right. But, um, but what's interesting is actually my best friend's feelings about that have changed. Mm. Because now she has the first baby. Yeah. She has her, her daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's, like, she wants to have more children. And 
she said, in the future, if it comes down between me and the baby, it's got to be me. Right. Because I can't leave my first kid mm-hmm. an orphan. Right. And, and I'm like, interesting. Yeah. I would not have thought of that. That does kind of change the calculation, doesn't it? Yeah. So, But I, it's so individual. Right. And it's, I'm curious, like, in a story, I mean, I've never read or seen a story about this circumstance happening mm-hmm. where the choice is save the mother yeah. not the baby mm-hmm. and i wonder how characters would react like if that was available in westeros mm-hmm. and rogar baratheon said save my wife mm-hmm. and they sacrificed the the baby how would people respond i don't think right? well i don't think well either because yeah. of the patriarchy right you know i mean because even imagine that choice now Exactly. Like now, and we don't yeah. have like we have a patriarch, but it's not quite as it's it's not as toxic as what we see as Westeros. It's not that bad. I mean, it's bad, mm-hmm. but it's not this level of right. com, you know misogyny. But yeah, even now, I think that if people heard like that someone made a choice to like save the mom instead of the baby, that there would be people that there would be people who would be like, "Why would you ever do that? You should always yeah. save the baby first. That, like, mm-hmm. the only reason that you would save the mother is if the baby was, like, already dead. Mm-hmm. Or, like, had no chance of survival. But, like... I mean, there are even people that are judgmental of, like, there there are women who get pregnant, or people that get pregnant, who end up having, like, very high-risk pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Like, um, you know, preeclampsia, it's very serious, and things like yep. that. Where, like, doctors will recommend that you get an abortion. Mm-hmm. Because it's dangerous for your body. Like, you could die from this pregnancy. Yeah. And plenty of people choose to do that because... If a doctor told me I was going to die from something, I would stop it immediately. Mm-hmm. So there's plenty of people that choose to do that. And then there's people that don't. And like, and some of the pregnancies are successful and fine. And everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of, I think, I think there is judgment against people who choose themselves yeah. over their, the fetus inside them. Mm-hmm. And that's not fair. It's, it's not. again, it's so, it's so individual and it's so specific to what exactly is going on with that person and their own medical choices. Mm-hmm. Um, it, yeah. And it's fascinating to me. So I'm going to take a line of argument that like, you don't hear a lot, but like it intrigues me that I rarely ever see this argument, but um, mm-hmm. if someone wanted to, from a purely evolutionary standpoint, make an argument about what is the more effective choice, evolutionarily speaking, it should be to save the mother. Hmm. Yeah, because she could always have another yeah. pregnancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A per- mm-hmm. Like a person who is pregnant could always have, and not just one more, but potentially multiple. If it, like mm-hmm. a, like a like a person who is pregnant, um, if they have a dangerous mm-hmm. pregnancy, you can have one dangerous pregnancy and the rest are fine. We know that for sure. Yeah. That like from a from a purely survival of the fittest, like evolutionary, like in terms of what is like you know, maximum fertility, if we were taking that argument, the, the, the answer mm-hmm. should always be to save the mother's life because she could, like, the, the, the pregnant person's life, because they could potentially have one, two, three, four, five more babies. Right. But, like, if you, exactly. but if you save the baby, you, you, okay, great, you have a baby, but, like, that's all you have. Right. And now you don't have someone, you're missing one of the parts of caring for them. Right, baby. yes. You are now also yeah. making it more dangerous for that child because that child just mm-hmm. lost a caregiver. Um, mm-hmm. hmm. and it is so interesting to me that like both that like, but that argument doesn't work under patriarchy. 
mm-hmm. that like in a patriarchal system like requires that you valued like the bodies of people that society deems as women less so even mm-hmm. though from a fitness perspective it makes more it makes sense more to preserve sense. that body yeah yeah i see what but you're like saying. they they just inherently don't value that person mm-hmm. as much as they value the potential you know once once you have a gender disparity that is based on mm-hmm. anatomy anyone who has the anatomy of like the the per, you know the people that you deem lesser like you're never going to choose that person mm-hmm. because you've already decided that their lives matter less their body matters less yeah i wonder what rogar baratheon would have done if like he knew the baby was a girl mm-hmm yeah like what would he have done <coughs> would he have said choose my wife yeah you know, save my wife mm-hmm. you know i don't know because if he saved her she could have more boys right yeah it's a really interesting i, I find this conversation fascinating because i mean ev- evolutionarily this wouldn't this isn't a problem pre-medicine yeah mm-hmm. right he, like humans if you put humans in like some kind of state of nature or whatever before any medicine was conceived mm-hmm. um you know if you had a bad pregnancy you just died yeah both of like the and, ev- and everybody died yeah the, the, the whole yeah. the whole kitten caboodle died yep. so it wasn't like an issue mm-hmm. and as we've gotten better and better in medicine we have more and more control mm-hmm. over when we die right. pretty much yep and these these moral questions have have come out of that and because we we do have the ability yeah now to save people sometimes yeah so it's really, it's really interesting. I've never heard that evolutionary argument, though, about, like, if you save... I mean, it makes sense, though. Right. Like, if you save the mom, she could have lots of other kids. Mm-hmm. And... And take care of the existing children. Help take care of the existing yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we don't exactly. we don't tend to, to think that way. Uh, definitely mm-hmm. Westeros does not. And I don't think that our, um, our society thinks that way either. Um and some of and no, some of it is patriarchy and some yeah. of it is 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 like the christian framing of um the value of life and what that means and mm-hmm. if i were to make that argument like i was raised christian so like if i were to make that mm-hmm. argument with my parents they would be like right but that's like a godless argument mm-hmm. like coming from an evolutionary okay. perspective is like godless like you're assuming that there's no mm-hmm. moral you know mm-hmm. sure it might be evolutionarily fit but it's immoral to like mm-hmm. think that way and i'm like oh i mean sure i mean that's your morality like that's your values and you're allowed yeah, to have different I mean, values than you know someone else might i guess that's an interesting question like is it immoral to like in the situation of Alyssa, would it have been immoral to to kill the baby and not kill and save Alyssa? Mm-hmm. would that have been a bad moral choice and i don't know i think again it's like so subjective and the other thing too is both procedures the forced c-section or a a forced very late term abortion yep. i don't even know what, what you would uh describe it as it's um mm-hmm. don't isn't there a it's d it DNC would be like a like a it? yeah late term dnc it's the equivalent yeah. of that yeah yeah um they're both such like horrible things to think about yep. you know they're both such sad things and they're both really that... risky and dangerous on both sides because there's always a risk mm-hmm. even with you know this this kind of forced c-section there's still a risk that like the baby didn't get enough oxygen or like the baby was stuck in such a way that caused it damage or like Mm -hmm. um it's still too young to like Mm -hmm. to like thrive outside of the womb or in the process of cutting you know open the person's body you accidentally harm the baby i mean how do you fuck like Mm -hmm. 
there's there's risk to the baby in doing things this way, but like doing the other way of like you know, the the kind of DNC nature of like killing the baby to save the mom is like, well, what if there's an infection and what if you don't get all the pieces out? And like like there's like right. there's always mm-hmm. risks to both mother and child no matter how you do it. Yeah. It's just like where is the weight being put on who assumes the risk and who's Whose life is worth saving, even mm-hmm. with the risks involved of what might happen in the aftermath? Right, and I guess the correct—I guess the correct answer, more or less, to who's who makes that call should be the person who's pregnant. Yes, uh huh. The person who's pregnant should make that call yep. ultimately, and if they can't make it at the moment because they're unconscious, there should have been a pre-conversation uh-huh. about what to do in the case of these. Right, things like occurring. all your friends did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like so. pregnancies are dangerous. <laughs> even, oh yeah, absolutely. Even quote unquote normal pregnancies, which I don't like that term because like pregnant, mm-hmm. there's always danger in pregnancy. But even like if you don't have any pre existing conditions or or pregnancy related conditions, even if like everything is fine and expected, a pregnancy is dangerous. And like you should yeah. always talk about the possibility that something goes wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, so like for example, so my my one friend. Um, who had her daughter who had a lot of complications uh her whole pregnancy was fine she was like a good age she's very healthy she's fit you know she got pregnant right away she carried the pregnancy etc and she gave birth prematurely at 35 weeks mm. and uh it turned out that what she had thought were just like contractions just like she thought she thought they were just like pains from being pregnant she thought the baby was kicking oh. she had been having contractions for weeks She'd been having contractions, like, for, like, three weeks prior to, like, actually going into full labor. Uh Uh, And I blame the doctors for this because they were like, pregnancy hurts. Live with it, you know. And no one thought, like, wait a minute, maybe something is up. Uh And that that then led to, like, they discovered it kind of last minute and they had to do the emergency C-section, etc. But, but again, everything turned out to be fine. But, yeah, it's like that – she was a person who – ticked every box for having a quote-unquote normal pregnancy uh-huh. and she did not <laughs> yeah no yeah mm-hmm. so that that happens all the time i mean yeah. uh, childbirth death is i mean being pregnant and in the united states mm-hmm. is more risky than like a lot of jobs are yep. like a lot of jobs that you think are like dangerous jobs are not as dangerous as like giving birth mm-hmm. in the united states of america yep and other countries are better at it than yeah, us. Some of that is because but. our healthcare system sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like if you have bad healthcare, bad shit happens. Woo! Right, right. And that, I mean, and that's not even going to get into, like, the ways that, that this is disproportionately more of a problem for women of color and indigenous women yep. and, you know, people yep. who are, you know, gender nonconforming in various ways and the way that the medical system, mm-hmm. like, marginalizes them extremely. Um, mm-hmm. it's even worse if you're, you know, if you're black or indigenous or gender nonconforming mm-hmm. or any of those things. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. we could do better even here in America. Like we are not leading the world in pregnancy care and, <laughs> and, nope. and childbirth rates. Nope. Um, nope, we are not. <laughs> uh, though, like, I mean, better than it would have been back then. Like whenever I. Well, better than Westeros. Better than Westeros, oh. which is, you know, great. <laughs> Um, whenever the, like, I don't know if you've ever seen these, like, memes that go around that are, like, how, uh, without modern medicine, like, how would you have died? Uh-huh. And it's people going, like, yeah, I got, like, a, you know, I got, like, a staph infection, and I'm so glad for vaccines, or, like, 
I had a burst appendix or whatever. And I'm like, I never would have been born. My mom would have died giving birth, giving birth to my brother. Because um, mm-hmm. my brother was 13 pounds. Or no, oh th- he was not. He wasn't. He wasn't 13. My grandfather was 13. Big babies run on my mom's side of the family. So my grandfather uh-huh. was 13 pounds in like early 20th century. I don't know how his mom survived. Um, wow. But my brother Kudos. was like 10. My brother was like 10 pounds. Uh, 13 inches long. He was like the size of a three-month-old when he was born. Oh my god! Yeah, I'm like yeah, 13. Yeah, he was like massive. he was he was a very large, very large baby. Um, yeah. and my mom absolutely would have died because she tore really yeah. badly, uh, giving birth to mm-hmm. my brother. And so like, and that's you know what, 40 years ago, my brother's mm-hmm. like late 30s, so like 39, 40 years ago, like without mm-hmm. modern medicine, my mom would have died. And there are women who, and there are people who who have pregnancies like my mom's who do die. Even now, mm-hmm. who like have a big baby and like they're just, they're just really hard on bodies and yeah, all there's always a risk and it's always dangerous. Um, mm-hmm. And like patriarchy makes it worse. Patriarchy does make it. It makes it worse for everybody because mm-hmm. it's like it makes it obviously like in this circumstance it made it really really bad for Alyssa. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also bad for Rogar mm-hmm. for all the shit we give Rogar, yeah. which we do. I mean, he was he was made to make an impossible decision. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, he had to, he was told, look, either they're both going to die or you tell us to murder her. Right. And maybe the baby lives. Uh-huh. But we got to wait for you to tell us to murder her. And, like, he didn't, in that circumstance, given those two choices, he didn't make the wrong choice. Right. But that's, like. That's a really shitty choice. It's really shitty. It's just the whole situation is, like, so shitty and yeah. so traumatizing and and that's the patriarchy that's that's because of the patriarchy that right. happened right because like it like he also like we can't entirely blame blame rogar for not knowing that there were other options because he's just given two options the maesters are exactly. literally like either both your wife and her baby die or we or you tell us and we murder your wife and your baby might live like right. he doesn't know like i mean one because he's under patriarchy and two like he's not the smart he's not a maester he doesn't yeah. know that there are more options. He's literally making a choice given, ba- like, based on the options given to him, and they both suck. And the Maesters genuinely might not know. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because if the Maesters are trained at the Citadel, yeah. and it's Westerosi medicine, mm-hmm. and this is how they do it, if they don't, they, I mean, if that practice is not taught there, yeah. and it's not something that's commonly done, we never see it, uh-huh. so we can assume it's not commonly done. Yeah. They might also genuinely not know, and that's also an artifact of the patriarchy, mm-hmm. right? That they cannot think that they're yeah. that they cannot imagine other options, and they are right. trained to only provide these options, right? Exactly, and I think this is what this is one of the things I'm talking about when I say when we talk about themes yeah. with like the disempowerment of women disempowers us all. Yes, when you have. You know, Allison in this section tried to get the maesters to talk about letting girls in. Mm-hmm. You know how you get a lot better at childbirth shit. If maybe you talk to the ladies. <laughs> right. Yes. Oh my gosh. That's such a good point. Like right, right. on the heels of, of, of Alice Ann being like, maybe let women in, go to college. And like this, yeah. this is how you end up with like healthcare that is bad for women is when you only this have you end up with like men. Like wandering womb syndrome and stuff like <laughs> that. That's why like, you end up with know, hysteria. Like, <laughs> hysteria. It's because you only have like men yeah. who are also affected by the patriarchy. Yeah. Just funneling that and sick, uh, doing get into that cycle uh-huh. of patriarchal thought with each other in like an echo chamber, mm-hmm. and not actually knowing anything about women's bodies, what women want, yeah. the fact that women want things—that's a new, probably new concept for them as well. Mm-hmm. 
And it's like, if you want to improve healthcare for a subset of people, talk to that subset of people. Yeah. Yep. Let them, let them participate in that because mm-hmm. they're the ones that are going to know, you know, like how to do these things. And we have in Westeros some like midwives now and mm-hmm. then and stuff like that. But the, the doctor in the room. Yep is always a man mm-hmm. right yeah i'm thinking about how um uh when i was married to my ex-husband um i mean i have fertility issues i don't know if i've talked about that before but like mm-hmm. um i got pregnant twice and both of them ended in miscarriage and then i couldn't get pregnant any other way no matter how far up the food you know how far we did you know fertility whatever mm-hmm. um so, like, when I – there was a point where I miscarried, and my my ex-husband, his job was, like, offered bereavement hmm. um, for miscarriage and stillbirth. And, um, you know, along the lines of what we're talking about, the CEO of that company was a woman. Oh. That, that Like, I'd never heard of that before. I've never, never heard, heard of, of like, you know, bereavement, you know, yeah, bereavement for friends or family or, you know, a child dying, but like explicitly included bereavement leave for miscarriage of yourself or your partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, yes, this is what happens when you put, when you give, you know, when you put women in positions of power, because like she would have known this is a thing. Mm-hmm. And like, it causes grief and suffering and people should deserve to have bereavement for like the loss of a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So yeah, like that, like just exactly what you're saying, like let women into the Citadel and you might start to have more options for how to handle difficult pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. How to do, how to do pregnancy and childbirth care. Let Right. Cause it's like, you don't, I mean, this is also a part of the problem with mo- modern medicine now is that even like a lot of our standards or what we think things should be mm-hmm. are based on white men. Yep. yep. Are based on the, or just white people, you know, depending if it's a woman, if it's a female specific gender thing mm-hmm. or, or sex thing rather. Um, but it, you know, that's not really like, not everyone's a white cat guy. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 Things like ADHD, yeah. like for a long time, like the, the diagnostic yeah. criteria for ADHD was based on the way it most commonly presented in little white boys. And like, mm-hmm. surprise, surprise, people with different anatomies, like their brain chemistry works differently. And probably mm-hmm. also there were, again, in this patriarch comes everyone. I'm sure that there were little boys who had ADHD who didn't get noticed if they didn't present in the kind of the stereotypical way. Oh, definitely. That, that they were the kind of more inattentive types. And I say this as someone who had, um, who has like primarily inattentive ADHD um, mm-hmm. and was not diagnosed until I turned 30. Oh. <laughs> because well, I didn't present in that, that happens, stereotypical way. That happens with a lot of AFAB people. Yep. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, I know, I know so many people yep. who, like my sister-in-law, for example, Who's like the most obviously ADHD person on the planet? I met Bridget, and like two seconds later, I was like, "She's on the spectrum," uh-huh. and she is, and she is, talks about it all the time. Um, but she didn't get diagnosed till her twenties. Yeah, yep. She was like well into her twenties, and she had to go get her diagnosis. And I was like, "Did nobody notice?" Yeah. Nope. You know, and it was because you know, the people think ADHD. They think of little boys running around who can't sit down. Yep, yep, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, luckily, that's changing. Right. And if, an, and if a little girl were to have the exact same behavior, they would just say, like, well, she just needs to learn to sit still and is out of control. And this is this is a problem with gender rather than a problem with, like, brain chemistry and stuff. Mm-hmm. Plus, certain aspects of ADHD come across as very um, 
mature or responsible, so like hyperfixations. Uh huh. You know, yep. just being really into something. It's like, oh, this kid's just really into into this thing they'll do it for hours on end yeah or like i developed like really strong anxiety because like my older sister definitely has adhd she's not officially diagnosed but like mm -hmm. yeah my sister had adhd and she was visibly adhd and like got a lot of backlash both in like school and in family for some for those adhd behaviors and like as Mm -hmm. a younger sibling i was like okay that will get me in trouble so i just like developed basically like a really strong anxiety disorder and then, like, yeah. I overcompensated mm-hmm. and, like, always stuff was always done on time and I was never found, you know, being late mm-hmm. or forgetting or doing anything because I was, like, deeply mm-hmm. anxious and could not allow to be seen to have any of the same symptoms that I knew that I might have if I acted like my sister. Um, mm-hmm. And no one's going to recognize that. They don't know what's going on in my brain. They don't know. Like, they just see, like, oh, Gretchen always gets their homework done. And I'm like, well, you don't yep. know that I literally just, like, sat there terrified doing my homework Friday afternoon because if I didn't, I might forget until Sunday night and then I'd get in trouble. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Anyway, we got really far afield. Uh, patriarchy hurts everybody. Well, I thought that was a- Yeah. Yeah, patriarchy's bad. Patriarchy <laughs> harms everybody because also Rogar's choices were constrained. And I like that you brought that up, that, like, everyone's choices are constrained in this situation. Um, and he yeah. gets put into a position where he has to make a terrible choice. Um, and it's really awful. And as much as, like, I love that Reyna confronts him about it um, and is mm-hmm. the only one who's angry because, like, someone should be angry. Like, I, I feel the fact that she's so angry and that some of that is grief, her own grief yeah. and loss um, in the mm-hmm. situation of, like, she lost her mother. Um, her mother didn't, she never got to, you know, make things right with her mom before she died. Um, yeah. And also, like, Reyna is the one who recognizes how, you know, has been the character who consistently, um, so far in the story, recognizes, you know, patriarchy in that way. That Like, it makes sense for her to be like... Well, you just shouldn't have had sex with my mom. Yeah. Like, get off her. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, like, you killed like, her by yeah. by by having sex with her and getting her pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, she's not, I mean, that's not exactly right, but, like, also not entirely wrong. It's not exactly wrong. Yeah. Either, yeah. Um, I mean, you should, I don't know if they have protection in Westeros, but, like, you know, figure it out. Yeah. You know, for a few or more like, years. Or, like, why was Alyssa <laughs> not on Moon Tea? Like, she could have been on... That I do... I do wonder about that, why Alyssa wouldn't have... Because she could have aborted that baby, too. Right. After, I mean, after her first after her first pregnancy was really hard on her, and it said that she was struggling mm-hmm. to recover, why not take Moon Tea? Just to be like, I can't do this again. I think that she... I, if I had to speculate, because we don't, I don't think we have enough in the text to know for mm-hmm. sure, but my guess is she's, like, so patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Like, she's so patriarchy brain. She sees her role as someone mm-hmm. who who is a mother and produces children. Mm-hmm. I don't think it would have occurred to her to to try to stop her fertility right. or to or to abort the baby. I don't think either of those things would have like even in her lexicon, mm-hmm. right? Because I thought about that as well. But when when it comes to Raina, can we talk about this footnote I read before? <laughs> uh-huh. The best fucking footnote in the so whole good. book. So Roga Baratheon never wed again. This is in the text. Uh-huh. That means the maester included yep. it. Why? It's such a cheeky footnote. It's so it's cheeky. So clearly, it's so clearly saying Rogar was in fact afraid uh-huh. of Reyna and took that threat seriously yep. no matter what he said. Yeah. You know? 
Like, why did he include it? It's hard to... I think it's really hard to imagine because as we've talked about, like, the Maester has so much sympathy for the Baratheons. Mm-hmm. That, like... Like, he kind of went out of his way earlier in the text to make Rogar... To, like, be like, well, we should all really love him. Because he yeah. wanted... Be, be nice to him. He's not that smart. Be nice to him. He Come wanted on. to fight Magor in single combat. Let's remember, yeah. this dude's a hero. Yeah. That, like... Yeah, it's hard to, like, the cheekiness of this, like, re- like doesn't exactly make sense with that other tone. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those situations where this is more Martin yes. than the Maester. Because uh-huh. this is hilarious. Yes. From, like, a reader's perspective and from an author's perspective, that's hilarious. I read it and I actually laughed mm-hmm. out loud, you know? Uh, and I don't know if the Maester would maybe do something like that also just because it was funny. Yeah. Um... But I don't, because the implication is so clear, I don't, I can't really come up with an explanation. I mean, unless maybe the maester is trying to indicate that he sided with Reyna, mm. you know, that in this particular circumstance, right. it was Rogar's fault, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. Rogar's actions did lead to the actual death of Queen Alyssa. Yeah. So it's okay to, like, not approve. Yeah. You know, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I also wonder if this would have been written differently if the babe had been a boy. Yeah. Because if the if the baby had been a boy, it would have been like, oh, well, this is fully justified. Yes. But then the baby's a girl, and it's like, oh, it's kind of justified, you uh-huh. know. Yeah, I, th- I do think that if this had been... Because, like, the scene with, with Reyna is surprisingly neutral. Like, it's it's mm-hmm. it's written in a very factual way. Like, I don't, there's not, like, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, maester bias yes. in that scene. It's yeah. just kind of neutral, presented neutrally as, like, this is what happened. I do yeah. wonder if Jocelyn had been a boy instead, if he would have had the same tone, or if this would have been, like, and that spooky, scary, bitchy Reyna that, yeah, was that, so that mad. Queen of the West, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like... If there would have been like a layer of judgment about Reyna's behavior, if yeah. if this had been a boy, because then you're right, it would have been fully justified. Right. Rogar's decision would have been fully justified if Jocelyn had been a boy, and so Reyna's behavior would have been totally unacceptable. Right. Exactly. How dare she? Like how? Like the Maester would have sided with Rogar's reaction of like, "What the fuck did I do? This is not my fault. How mm-hmm. dare you? How dare you accuse right. this, me of like murdering my wife?" Right, I had to do this for my son. Mm-hmm. It had to happen for my son, right? But now it's a daughter, so yeah. yeah. I I agree. I think the tone would have been different. Um, yeah, and that he might not have had like felt the need to include this kind of cheeky, like you never wed again. Um, yeah, but it did make me think. So that so what so one of the things I was thinking about that was like, what this does is tell us that he was more afraid of Reyna than he ever was of Magor. But yeah. it made me remember that Rogar never stood up to Magor in when Magor was a threat. Like Rogar mm-hmm. kind of stayed out of most of You're most right. of Magor's yeah. reign, and then when it was clear that Magor was like that, Magor was on the descent. Then yes. he was like, "Oh yeah, guess what? I'm championing Jaehaerys. I have crowned him king." But it was mm-hmm. only basically once Magor was no longer a real threat that I was reading this mm-hmm. and going, "Oh, Rogar's just a coward. 
He always are you perhaps has suggesting, been a coward. Are you perhaps suggesting that he is he is weak? He is a weak man. <laughs> Interesting. That like he is a yeah, he, he is. is afraid of Reyna because is. this is the first time he's ever actually been directly threatened by a Targaryen mm. with power. That, like, when Maegor would have been a threat to him, he kind of stayed out of things and never made himself a target. I like that. I hadn't thought about yeah. that. But, yeah, I think, yeah, he may be, may be a little cowardly. Yeah, that he's, like, a lot of huh. bluster. You know, that his whole, like, right, I will fight no Maegor single-handed. And I'm like, sure, but, like, what, did you try? the phrase is a lot of, a lot of bark but no yes. bite. That, like, yeah. that is, like, Rogar Baratheon to a T. He talks a big talk, like, here, where he's like, I'm not afraid of her. But then he never weds again. Right. It's like, deep down, he's a coward. <laughs> yeah. Like, he talks a big talk, but, like, is actually, doesn't actually want to do anything that could put him in a position where, like, his life could be at risk. Mm-hmm. Um, that- hmm. Except for all those really bad trees. <laughs> he doesn't really do, but he does a bad job at the trees. Right, and I don't think that he was afraid consequences for that i think that he thought that no. he would succeed and then he would be on the winning side just like he was with jaharis yeah oh rogar oh my buddy but like he you know he didn't wet again because it was the first time he was actually afraid <laughs> i love that she really scared yeah him. she scared him shitless i love mm-hmm. that i i love her oh yep fantastic what are wives uh, to men like you we should keep that in mind as we move forward and see the different marriages throughout the story because that's I think that's going to come up more, mm-hmm. that same concept. Um, all right, so that was our analysis. So we have who gets shafted, Alyssa, obviously. Oh. Um, we talked ex- extensively about that. Mm-hmm. In terms of connections to A Song of Ice and Fire, the eggs, obviously. Um, Who's Simon Dondarrion? Did I miss yeah, that? Yeah, so Simon Dondarrion is um, when they go to, I think it's on the way to Old Town. This, it's uh, at the very end of when they're, after they've elected the new pope. So on page um, 216, um, mm-hmm. after they hang out at Old Town and they, um, then they like, decide oh, they, yeah. they decide to head right. back to king's landing by way of the dornish marches and the stormlands um so they visit mm-hmm. like horn hill and night song and black haven and then it says queen alisand found the last especially congenial um mm-hmm. lord dundarian was a splendid host and his son simon played the high harp as well as he jousted and entertained the royal couple by night with sad songs of star-crossed lovers and the fall of kings i was like that just totally Aww. sounds like rhaegar that just is. like like a sad boy playing his sad songs to make all the ladies cry. Oh, um, but he had his like his hair combed over his yeah, eye. Yeah, he's like emo. His like black eyeliner. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a big thing. I just read it and like I had in my notes from the first time I read Fire and Blood just a little like Rhaegar question mark. It's like yeah, Martin loves a sad boy with his sad songs. An emo boy. That is cute. Um. All right, so that, I mean, those are the connections. I mean, the, the eggs are really the primary connection, and we don't have to themes. We we don't really have to talk about that first section. I feel like we've covered it, but we yeah, we've covered yeah. that. So themes. Martin's view of religion. Yeah, yeah. Is it bad? <laughs> what does he think about religion? I don't know. Let me let me read you a quote and see and see how how you th- how this lands for you. Um, 
On page 215, this is like in the selection of the new pope. Um, uh, Thus was the bargain struck, if Sefton Bart's account can be believed. Barth himself did not question it, though he rued the corruption that made the most devout so easy to manipulate. It would be better if the seven themselves would choose their voice on earth. But when the gods are silent, lords and kings will make themselves heard, he wrote. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like Martin has a pretty heavy dose of skepticism about, and not just here, but like in general, Martin's view of religion is like he's pretty skeptical about whether or not there's anything like quote unquote real behind religious mm-hmm. devotion. Like, are there gods? Meh, I mean, I don't think Martin would say that there are. Um, mm-hmm. But like, he doesn't mock religion or even hate it. Like, unlike the Bad Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bad show hated religion. Yeah, the bad show definitely, like, hates yes. religion passionately. Um, go ahead. I, was gonna, I think you just said something interesting, that whether, whether the gods exist in this universe, it, within a universe in which magic does exist, uh-huh. and the gods could exist, right. they, because it's fiction and he could make anything happen, uh-huh. um, the seven specifically mm-hmm. have no associated actual magic nope. that we see. We see some magic with the old gods, mm-hmm. the weirwoods, yep. and we see magic with Rolar, yep. um, but we don't see any magic associated with the mm-hmm. seven. And I do think that's to a point. Yep. What that point is, I'm not sure. Yep. But I do think that's to a point because, uh, like your notes say um, here about religion, Martin definitely understands religion as the the reality of whether it's like real, real, like whether the gods actually mm-hmm. exist is kind of a minor yep. point. The more important point is that people believe it. Yes. Yep. And how it is used to wield power over others mm-hmm. and manipulate others. Yep. Which the Targaryens have to do because they have to make this incest thing work. Yeah. Yeah. With the, with the with the seven. Yeah. It's that conversation about like you know even a small man may cast large shadows because power lies where people think it does. Right. Um, and that's true of religion for Martin as well. Like that for for Martin. Religion is just another institution that has power because people believe it does. And whether or not there's anything substantive behind it is beside the point. Like, Mm -hmm. there doesn't have to be because, but if people believe it does, then it has power in the world. And what's kind of interesting is within A Song of Ice and Fire, people that believe in the the seven um, are sort of dismissive of the old gods. Mm -hmm. They're kind of like, oh, the trees, you know, fuck these people (laughs) in the trees, Uh you know, whatever. And it's it's sort of like a it's almost like a christian pagan divide in that way um and meanwhile the trees do seem to have actual magic in them Mm -hmm. and you know whether it's a god or a godhead situation or what you know just like nature magic like whatever the situation may be uh it's interesting that like the people that worship the seven believe it so fervently as to dismiss the other religion on the continent that has active magic in yep. it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, right? It's really oh, interesting. That's so interesting. I really like that. I hadn't thought about it in precisely that way before. That like, like the real power to be afraid of is nature. You know, and like that's a thing that like yeah. that is like a part of what Martin's doing because like you know the others mm-hmm. are like. It's, you know, congratulations, it's climate change. Like, (laughs) it's coming for us. (laughs) You know, like, nature has power. Like, we should be afraid of the natural world 
if we're, you know, mm. like, it, or revere it. Like, if we're going to have, like, a, a devotion to something in which there is actual, real, substantive power behind it, it would be the natural world. Right. Which is, you know, like the old gods and the trees and mm-hmm. the others and all of that. Um, but, yeah, that, like, the religious devotion of the seven is, like, in the same way that Christians are really dismissive of, like, an, you know, religions that they might call quote-unquote animistic or pagan mm-hmm. or any anything that is, like, the worship of nature or natural forces, a lot like the Christian tradition is, like, deeply skeptical and, and even antagonistic towards that idea. And yeah. yet, like... I mean, I mean, my my own kind of agnosticism is going to show up here, um, mm-hmm. in the kind and atheism of like, I mean, I'm more concerned about a hurricane, yeah, than I would than I, I would a, be about like yeah. an invisible being who like thinks who judges my choices. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm an atheist. I've always been an atheist. Um, I was not really raised in any religion, which is uh, thank you, parents, for not instilling that trauma on mm-hmm. me. Um. So, so I, but I love, I love, look, I love studying religion. I think religion is really, really fascinating. Mm-hmm. So for me, like, yeah, the, the dangers that the old gods represent mm-hmm. and the fact that like the old gods kind of seem to maybe be the danger. Yeah. Like uh-huh. there's like a lot of like darkness in that mm-hmm. worship mm-hmm. that, you know, the activating the trees through the blood sacrifice yeah. and just like all these things, uh, it's such a it's such an interesting fantasy interpretation of mm-hmm. Christianity versus like generic paganism versus like you know Rolar is like the scary thing from the east mm-hmm. that's like the xenophobic like oh not the scary religion from the east ah yeah. it has fire ah we don't like you uh-huh. know and it's a it's a it's a simplification of what religion is like in our world uh-huh. um, but I think useful for the same kind of discussions right. of of looking at the way. Looking at the way people abuse religion right. to abuse each other. Right. Because that's, I mean, that's what Martin is pointing out in that quote that I read of right. like, man, it sure would be nice if the gods chose it themselves, but when they aren't there to do it, then like lords and kings do it. And like the whole point of that is like, yeah. wow, sure is possible for the for the political rulers to manipulate the religious system to get the result that they want. Um, weird. Weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah who would have thought of that uh-huh. one and that like so martin recognizes that you know whether or not there's anything substantive behind religious devotion it is often a vehicle for corruption and power yes. and exploitation yes. of other people and like using political power to influence you know the people in like a different channel and that's what he's calling out here um and it's interesting like i've I'm just so fascinated by like that he called that out and also think it made me think more deeply about what's happening here, which like this is the Targaryens are manipulating like they're manipulating religion to support their dynasty. Like mm-hmm. this is corruption. Yep. They are corrupting yep. the religious establishment. Um blatant and they're making that religious establishment accept their incest. Yes. Yes. Like like it's it's very like it of course like because i've studied religious history like immediately made me think of king henry the eighth who was like went to the catholic mm-hmm. church and was like can you let me divorce my wife and they're like no it's against our religion he's like fine i'll make my own religion yeah that allows me to divorce I'll my wife my, fine i'll just do it myself then. yeah i'll just make my own and like that's yeah. you know and like we recognize that as like okay buddy like you just want the religious system to support your choices and that's literally mm-hmm. what's happening here 
And yet I know that there are people like that, like really deep Targ stands would be like, right, but like, isn't this good for them? This is good for the Targs. And I'm like, right, uh, but it's corruption. And like, right, it is corruption. This yes. is part of what Martin does is he gets you to root for someone and then you, they make choices like this and you're supposed to be like, ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. You know, yep. like. It's almost like the true conflict is the, the only true conflict is the conflict within the human heart. Right? Ooh. Like if the Lannisters yeah. were doing this, we'd be like, oh yeah, those naughty Lannisters, they shouldn't be, you mm-hmm. know, like. They shouldn't be corrupting the religious establishment, but like it's fine when the Targs do. <laughs> yes, Targaryen exceptionalism—they are allowed to corrupt the religious they're institution. They're allowed. They're they're the exception to the corruption. Uh-huh. What's the problem? That's what it means. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, that's like I was feeling that tension reading this of like this text wants me to think this is fine that like it's cool when the Targs do it. It's so swept under the rug. It's it talked about so quickly. It's like a paragraph. Uh-huh. You know, they're just like, oh yeah, like, they were hanging out with the high towers and like, whoopsie doodle. I mean, I don't know. The 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 mace the septons like broke with tradition and just happened to elect the one guy that was super like, supportive. You know that if Magor had done this, oh shit, my god, oh yes, my god, it would have been like Magor stuck his claws mm-hmm. into the council and threatened them, and there was. Magic and Tyana's yeah. serpent magic. You know, Tyana like, cast a spell over the Septons that made them choose Alphen. They ensorcelled the letter. <laughs> <laughs> like it would have been something crazy, but yeah, you know, you're completely right. It's just straight up regular political corruption. Right. It's fine when our when our good bestest boy Jaharis does it. It's fine when it turns out okay. Yeah, yeah. everyone was fine with you it, know? so it's fine. Yeah. Don't worry about it. No, no big deal. No big deal. Um, All right. I feel like that kind of closes us I think out. We did everything. Yeah. I another another section that we all both had a lot of feelings uh-huh. about. Uh, but I thought we, I think we did a really good analysis. Yes. So next time we'll be finishing out this chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, and our email address is House of Fire and Blood Podcast at gmail.com. Our Instagram is at House of Fire and Blood Podcast. Those are both all one word. Mm-hmm. Um. And until next time, remember, if you're going to steal dragon eggs, make sure to pick the ones that feel the most plot relevant Ooh, to you. Right, right, right. You got to, like, hold them. Yeah. You know, get a vibe hold off them of them. Be like, does, does this feel like it has literary significance? Mm, you know, just yeah. see if you feel it in your bones. Yeah, like like, it, yeah. like you're picking out a watermelon. You got to kind of tap it a little bit and be like, how does it sound? Yeah. Does that sound plot relevant? Yeah. Does it, sh- does it shout back? I'm a metaphor. Does it, does it respond to you? <laughs> um, uh, I really like that. And also, until next time, remember that if you want to influence an election, uh, it's not corruption if you have dragons. So just make sure you got a dragon and then... You- just bring your yep. dragon. Then yeah. it's not political corruption. It's just fine. Ideally, land it on top yes. of the tallest, tallest yep. building in the yeah. town. Yeah. If you land then your dragon just, on top it- of the high tower, that's just... I don't, that's just coincidence. No, it's not coincidence. It's nice. You're doing a nice thing because then everyone can see your dragon. Yes. Yeah. Now all the small folk gets to see it from every corner of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They all can see it. Yeah. Right. So nobody gets left right. out. And if they happen to change their mind because they see that, you know, that's on them. They make the, you know, people make their own individual choices. People make, yeah. You know, when the gods aren't there to do it, people make the choices. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's important. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks so much for listening to us. I hope you enjoyed our mostly very dark discussion (laughs) but our deep analysis of this section Mm -hmm. and we will talk to you next time bye everybody
Bye. She's so quiet. Why is she so quiet? So I recorded the whole last episode on the wrong mic. I oh no! It. I noticed we were like 15 minutes in, and I'm like, I'll just fucking deal with it. Uh-huh. I record. It was recording on like just like my regular desktop. That's why it was seemed so loud, and I was like, Why is it so loud? That's so weird. Oh. Which is not a problem. It's not really a problem. I'll just have to, um, you know, quiet it down a bit. Uh-huh. But that's why the bird chirps were picking up so heavily because this this microphone is not as sensitive as uh-huh. just the computer mic. Uh-huh. So. But it's, it'll be fine. Anyway, so what did you do? Yeah, you last night I did a thing that I have not done since I was like... Did you rage against your parents? Did you tell them it's not a phase? <laughs> no. <laughs> what I did was like my girlfriend and I went out with some friends of ours because um the local leather archive and museum is, okay. is doing yeah. like a monthly um movie series. So we went to go watch Hellraiser. Nice. Um, And then we went to a bar afterwards and had a couple drinks mm-hmm. and then at like 12 30 we were like we're having a really good conversation let's go find a late night diner <laughs> yes oh, so we went and got like diner. tacos from like <laughs> the place a block away that was open so we got like late night tacos and i didn't get to bed until like two o'clock last night and i was like i have to record in the morning this i, I also didn't get to bed until decisions. two last night <laughs> Okay, so at least we're in the same boat. <laughs> we could have started later. We could always start later. That's we true. Sleep in. Um, oh, that's really funny. <laughs> but yeah, I was also very hungry. Waking up, you know, after the first recording, I was like, "Oh man, I really need to eat food." Yeah, I just downed a granola bar as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was up late because I um, I figured out how to do a, a big big girl stream on tiktok oh. uh, so normally tiktok is the jankiest way to stream games because what you have to do is point your phone at the screen and say deal with the quality everyone oh uh, so that's how most people stream on tiktok because to stream as if it was twitch you used to need what's called a stream key which oh. they only gave to big creators so they oh, okay. like handed them out to like people that already had followings you know so small creators like i'm not trying to be like a famous streamer or anything like that. I, I just like streaming for fun i have some friends on the internet Right. We play games together. Like, whatever. Uh-huh. Um, uh, they start, they launched a new thing called TikTok Live Studio, which allows, it's basically like Twitch. Oh. You can basically link directly, kind of like through OBS, through tw- like that kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, except it's on TikTok. So I figured out how to use it last night, and I was playing RimWorld, and I'm like, oh, I'm just going to play like half an hour of RimWorld to test it out, uh-huh. you know, and see that it works. Sure. And then I was on it till, like, past midnight. <laughs> and I yeah. had, like, one viewer left, and my last viewer was like, I need to go to sleep. I'm like, I also need to go to sleep, but we just got to finish this one last thing. I'm like, that's fair, but, like, I'm not done yet. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you don't have to be here. I'm going to be here doing this. <laughs> Amazing. So, so, yeah, both of us were up very late yeah. last night. Yeah. And I would exactly. say, given that, we're doing pretty good today. We're doing great. We're doing a really good job. 